Turn on the Jets film room. Sorry, Joe Blewett. We over pursues needs to dive at the ankles, which he does sometimes too much. Providing you comprehensive film study on the New York Jets. Howell sees that the playside gaps are clogged up. That was a really impressive play right there. That's, that's like a little stuff you see on film. Turn on the Jets film room is now in session. And you are listening to the brand new podcast, the Turn on the Jets film room, obviously of turnonthejets.com. We were we, we recorded an episode last week, but unfortunately, um, we had some technical difficulties and we weren't able to put it up with Mark Schofield. So hopefully we're going to have that either next week or the week after that. Um, but we're really excited to be joined by Scott Mason. We're going to do a recap of the Jets total offseason. Um, this podcast will be available on the podcast app, I believe, after two episodes or three episodes. Uh, that's what, at least what Scott says. Uh, we're, tr- we're going to dr- try to get a, a show done every Wednesday, 52 weeks a year. Maybe sometimes we'll have two shows a week, depending on what kind of film we're breaking down. Um, and then sometimes if it's you know a Thursday night game or Monday night game, we'll have a uh, show on a different release day. And we'll tell you uh, what day it's going to be released on. We're both going to be doing, um, or me and then some guests are going to be doing reviews on like the secondary, uh, the front seven, skill positions on offense, offensive line. Uh, quarterbacks and a ton of things like that. We'll also be doing some camp battles, some top 25 of the roster, some of the more hot topic type things that people enjoy. So we're kind of mixing in a lot of film and some storyline type things. Um, so that'll be definitely fun. During the season, we'll be doing a review of every single Jets game on film. We're doing studs and duds, telling you why the Jets lost, why they why they won. We'll be telling you about concepts, about uh, leverages, about routes run, about weight distribution, about a whole bunch of things that you're not going to get on any other Jets podcast that I, that I know of where they really get into the nitty gritty um, about the film. Like I said before, or like I said a couple of seconds ago, we're going to be bringing on a ton of special co-hosts. Uh, next week, we should have Mark Schofield on for the uh, quarterback breakdown. We'll break down a little bit of Petty, a little bit of Hackenberg, even though it's kind of more, more as a joke. Um, we'll talk about Sam Darnold, Bridgewater, McCown, obviously. And we'll bring up some film of both their strengths and weaknesses. And then another guest that we just confirmed yesterday is Eric McMillan, who is the Jets. He was with the Jets from 88 to 92. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. And mm-hmm. uh, rookie, defensive rookie of the year, two-time pro bowler to break down film. There's not many other places you're going to get that. A, a two-time pro bowler and rookie, the defensive rookie of the year to break down film. Um, on your, and you'll be able to see the film that we're breaking down. A lot of shows bring them on interviews. Oh, well, you know, what was your favorite play during your career? And you, you hear this kind of long, drawn-out thing. It's kind of – not too interesting to me, but to hear them actually break down the game, it's going to be um, really, really fun. So Eric McMillan will be on the show with us in a couple of weeks. That's I'm really excited about that. And in terms of Scott, uh, he's like the anchor of Turn on the Jets. Uh, he, <laughs> he hosts uh, Play Like a Jet, where he goes over specific Jet seasons with players like you know Kerry Rhodes and Thomas Jones, Eric McMillan, a whole bunch of other guys. It's really fun to listen to the uh, recap of that season through the players' eyes. Uh, he also does training camp uh, and game recaps with you know, different uh, guests as, as, you know, such as Daryl Slater from NJ Advanced Media, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also does other pods like the one he's currently doing right now with uh, Albert Breer recapping the Jets' road to Sam Darnold. So we really appreciate you, Scott, for joining us. Like I said, you are the anchor of Turn on the Jets and you were willing <laughs> to uh, do a show with me. I'm sure we're going to be doing quite a few more shows together as well. So thanks for jumping on. Well, thanks for the kind words, Joe. And 
I hope that I don't fall into that category that you mentioned about asking ex-players silly questions when we do play like the Jet, like in 1988 with Eric McMillan, who I think you're going to have a lot of fun with because you two are very much cut from the same cloth. Eric comes home after a long day of work and then goes and coaches high school football and then he watches film at night. And so he's basically like you, except he's a two-time Pro Bowler. <laughs> But then again, who knows, Joe? If you tried, you could have no. been a two-time Pro Bowler. You never know. No, no, it's it's not happening. We're we're cut, I guess, from the same cloth. Other than the fact that I'm not a superb athlete like he is. I'm 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 <laughs> decent. I'm decent, but I'm no I'm no Eric McMillan. There's there's no freaking way. So, like I said, I'm really excited to bring him on because who knows better about secondary and reads and keys and things like that than than a former um, Jets player, a guy, you know, not even a, a just a player like a you know, a Stucky type player, but a freaking you know, Pro Bowl player. Like, he, he knows a lot about defense. Yeah. So i be able to bring him on. And, and he doesn't care about offending people. So he'll say what he really thinks, which I know, again, is why you guys are cut from the same cloth. Because we yeah. all know if there's one thing you can say about Joe Blewett, it's that he tells you his legit opinion and doesn't bother him if people don't like it. Yeah, um, on my past past radio show, Jet Nation Radio, which, you know, shout out to them. I, I appreciate all my years with them, three years with them. Uh, they're doing well over there. But there are some times I got in, not, not in trouble from the website, but for some of the listeners with some things I would say. So certain topics I'll try to, you know, dial it back a little bit. But in terms of players, things like that, uh, I'll call some opinions out there. It's completely bogus. Like James Carpenter being a pro bowler last year was one of the biggest jokes <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. And if you don't believe me, I'll bring up the film either on Twitter where you can follow me at Joe RB 31 um, or on the show. And I'll show you specifically why they're not playing well. So unless you want to debate that, then, you know, leave it up, uh, then, then go ahead, but I'll, I'll pull up a specific place. So like I said, we're going to do a show recapping the off season. We'll talk about like our favorite signings, uh, the biggest boomer bust type signings. We'll look at every position on the jets, you know, quarterback, uh, receiver, tight end, offensive line talk about the new additions who is added to the team and then maybe at the end of the show we'll do like a little get to know us I don't want to open up the show to get to know us because I want to draw people's attention um so we'll talk about you know recapping the offseason and then we'll do some getting to know us type stuff which I didn't tell you about so it's it makes it more fun like that um so let's let's start off with our kind of like favorite signing type of deal least favorite signing all that stuff and we'll actually look at the position uh, position by position and talk about just the new additions um, that the Jets are going to have. And we're also going to be looking at the our, our favorite position battles going into to training camp. It's going to be a little more condensed. Uh, when I used to do shows, we did this over, what, nine, ten shows of the offseason where everything is really dragged out. Um, so we're not going to be able to, to spend as much time on it as I'd like to if I started the show, you know, a month or two ago. But certain things uh, held me back from doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... It's going to be condensed, so but let's start off, Scott, with our favorite signing. And since you are the the guest of the show or the guest co-host um, for the first show, and I'm going to let you go first and, and put you on the spot first. Okay, this is a tough one. Are we going to do underrated at some point? Because then I don't want it to be the same answer twice. Yeah. So let's. I'll, I'll give you the topics. We're going to do favorite signing. Okay. We're going to do least favorite signing. We're going to do favorite move in general. Least favorite move in okay. general. Biggest boomer bust signing. X factor player signed. And I think that's yeah. about it. So. Okay. So ooh, this is a tough one. I I could go either way here. I think that the best signing overall. You know, I guess I'll go with Tremaine Johnson because. 
I think that he was a guy that was a desperately needed in this defense, a piece that they really had to have. He's not Darrell Revis in his prime or Deion Sanders or Daryl Green or somebody of that ilk. But he's, and I think you would agree with this, Joe, having break, broken down his film, somewhere in the top eh, 10 to 15-ish range, which is very good for a cornerback. He very rarely gets beat deep, which is pretty important, especially when you're talking about somebody who's going to probably be put on an island a lot because that's what Todd Bowles likes to do. He can get physical and he's long, which is also something that Todd Bowles likes to take advantage of. And I think that his presence also helps May and Adams a lot because oh, May and Adams were both, I guess you could say, constantly over having to overcompensate for the fact that they had bad corners. Claiborne was okay, but the rest of those corners were terrible. And even Claiborne, the second half of the year, kind of fell off. So I think that as we watch right now, Joe is playing some of the film of Tremaine Johnson with the Rams. I think that he's going to be a big a big addition because not only does he free up May and Adams a little bit, not only does he give Todd Bowles a very necessary tool in his toolbox, but also Morris Claiborne, who was very badly miscast as a number one corner, now can be free to be a number two corner, which he's actually well-suited for. So I think Johnson is probably the biggest and most important signing that they had in the offseason. Yeah, and I'll get into some more of his specific film later. Like this is kind of like we're gonna have we're gonna break it up a little bit just in terms of the shows. We're like this is more of like a general show, not too much film. Next show with Schofield is gonna be two hours of purely film, top twenty-five, which isn't a, a lot, a lot of film. And then we're gonna do a secondary breakdown. So we're gonna break it up a little bit for the people who are more casual listeners as well. Um, but with Tremaine Johnson, I'll bring up film a little in a little bit because I have like certain plays queued up. I'm just not at this point in the show. And in terms of most important signing, most impactful. I agree with that because he's going to make the, the biggest impact on, on the team and especially on the defense because, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, Morris Claiborne, you know, a.k.a. the top ten corner that some people who watch <laughs> film said. Um, he's not that. He was a bad starter but a really good, se- uh, you know, second corner uh, instead of matching up on, you know, Julio Jones will be matching up on Sanu, which is going to help him um, right. a lot a lot in his game. And, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's definitely an important signing. But for me, my favorite signing – I know he's not going to make as big of an impact on the defense as Tremaine Johnson, who, like I said, we'll get into in a little bit, but is just extremely smart. Uh, big, he's, he's a hitter. He can tackle. Uh, he sets the edge well um, in terms of not letting the running backs bounce out to the sideline and get up the field. And another thing that's good about this defense that people don't really think about is the Jets' interior of the defensive line is, is pretty good. Uh, I like McClendon. I've been a, I probably was the, for, the first McClendon supporter when he got signed. I really, really liked his game. And he's, he's showing up and showing out for the Jets, which I like because it makes me look smart, um, which doesn't happen a lot. Um, and then you have Pennell, who the last three games of the season was pretty impressive. So it's not going to be necessarily easy to run up the Jets' middle. But when you look at the Jets, you know, the, the, the E-mall, the end man on the line of scrimmage type deal for the Jets' defense, you have, you have Bass, you have Martin, you have Jenkins. Uh, teams can – and, you know, last year, the year before that, they attacked the Jets on the edges where they, they're kind of slow and they don't really have guys who are – really physical, imposing type guys who could set that edge hard. With guys like Morris Claymore and Tremaine Johnson, they set the edge well. So that, that helps a lot in, in, the, uh, in the running game that people don't really realize. Uh, even in Buster Screen. Buster Screen, I'll get him a lot, but in terms of physicality and tackler, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty good player. Um, so the Jets have some good tackling corners, which is going to help the, the defense a lot when they, you know, the stretch plays outside zone um, type, type deals. So that's going to help uh, too. But 
We'll get into him more later. Uh, my favorite signing, Avery Williamson. Uh, this guy is, I think, supremely underrated. And Jets fans are going to see why when he starts playing. Maybe it'll take him a couple of weeks to fit into the new defense and you know get a, a a role going and you know seeing how he's going to be used and all this stuff. But I think by the end of the season, people are really going to like him. Six one two fifty signed a three year twenty two million dollar deal with sixteen million guaranteed. So it's basically like a two year guaranteed deal. Uh, 26 years old, three years younger than DeMario Davis, which is the reason I, I think a big reason why they signed him. Um, you know, he played a lot of both Mike and Will position. He blitzed for every single gap, A gap, B gap, C gap, D gap. Um, had a bunch of different responsibilities. And a lot of the time I hear, oh, well, you know, he was taking out a, a lot of the snaps um, and he didn't play third downs a lot. But the, the Titans did have like a three-man uh, rotation between their linebackers. I know one was Woodyard, and I forget, I, or I believe it was Woodyard. I could be wrong on, on whoever it was. Um, but whoever the two Titans linebackers are and him, and then also on third down, they would take out, you know, either either one of those three linebackers, and they would put Jonathan Cyprian in, who's basically like a quasi-linebacker type, strong safety type of guy. So they took him out for a safety. So it's not like they replaced him with another linebacker on third down. They replaced him with a secondary player who's more agile and can cover more ground on third down, what you need. So um, it was nothing crazy like he was taking out because he couldn't cover uh, because I'll show examples of him being able to cover. Um, he's a punch you in the mouth type player, really strong. He'll stand up offensive linemen's right in their track, which is really impressive for a 250 pound guy going up against 300 pound guys. Uh, plays a really good leverage, gets really low. He attacks gaps, really active feet. He doesn't kind of, he doesn't plant and just, you know, stay there or, or stand there and just let the offensive lineman uh, come into him where he absorbs the hits. He brings the hit to the offensive lineman. It's really impressive to watch him stand up, guys. Uh, like I said, hard hitter. Lateral quickness is good for a guy who's so strong. He has speed. He has size. He can cover. Um, but I'm going to bring up a example of, of him being able to uh, to punch you in the mouth. But, Scott, what are, you, what are your overall, I guess, thoughts um, on on some of his, I guess, strengths? Yeah, I think a lot of what you said is pretty much what I would say as well. The thing about Avery Williamson is he's younger, he's better, and he's cheaper than Demario Davis. The only reason that I think a lot of Jets fans were kind of surprised by it at first is because the contract was somewhat similar, and yeah. Jets fans know Demario Davis, and they don't know Avery Williamson. And the narratives emerged early on that Demario Davis – excuse me, Avery Williamson is a two-down linebacker. He can't cover because that's just what we were told. But then when you go and really look at the film, as you obviously did and as we're looking at right now, Avery Williamson is actually, I would say, a much better cover linebacker than Demario Davis, which isn't saying a lot because I don't think Demario Davis was all that good in coverage. It's funny, too, because DeMario Davis was largely picked, if you remember, back when he was taken in the third round. Yeah. One of the main reasons Rex Ryan said that he was picked is because they wanted him to be the guy that would take out guys like Gronk and so on and so forth. Never worked out that way. I don't know that Avery Williamson is going to be that good, that he's going to be able to guard you know, premium tight ends, but I think he's an upgrade in that area. And I think he's really an upgrade just overall. And when you can get a guy who's younger, cheaper, and better, I mean, what's the downside? Like you said, he can fill all the different gaps on blitzes, which is going to be important because Joe, as you know, and I'm sure we'll get into as we go along, the Jets don't really have an edge rusher of any kind of significance or impact. So they're going to need to manufacture pressure from all different types of places. I don't really agree with that being the way that it's done. 
but that's just the way the Jets have done things under Rex and now under Todd Bowles. So it's important to have a versatile linebacker who can do stuff like that, who can yeah. stop the run, who can cover a little bit, and who can blitz up different uh, different gaps. So I think it was a really good signing. It's definitely one that was more under the radar. Tremaine Johnson, to me, is the only one that the Jets signed that was like a huge I don't want to say a huge name. He's not like a super duper star, but it was a big time signing in terms of, ooh, flashy. I think Williamson wasn't that flashy because he's just a guy that kind of does the dirty work yeah. and people don't really know him. And he was in Tennessee and on and on. But I think he's going to be a really good player. And like you said, Joe, I think he's going to surprise some Jets fans and be a, a really solid addition to the defense this year. Oh, he's going to he's going to surprise a lot of a lot of uh, Jets fans and you know, even analysts and things like that. I think he's a really, really solid player. He can cover. I saw bring up in a little bit. Um, and this is this uh, the play I'm bringing up. I brought up a play before. It's just a hard hit of him on Crowell, just showing some of his strength. Um, but here he's the he's the will. And the, the Browns just run a lead toss. And this is just an example of strength. He, he's, a, he's attacking the, the play side A-gap. And this right guard is coming out to block him, try to seal him on the backside, which he, he doesn't – he doesn't he's not able to do. He's not able to get good position on Williamson. But he's basically like jumps on Williamson's back uh, to try to block him here, and is like holding him. Literally, he's like he's in the air right here. Mm-hmm. So he has a ton of he has a three hundred and ten pound, three hundred pound guy on his back, and he's still able to to stop and get in that gap. To you know, he doesn't make the ta- he doesn't get the tackle by himself. He's he's assisted on the tackle, but just an example of his balance and being able to to, to still cut into a gap while having a three hundred pound offensive lineman at minimum on your back. Uh, super super impressive. So like I said, strong. Um, big hitter, um, is smart in coverage, attacks gaps quickly, plays with good leverage. Um, I'm going to bring up another play of him. And like I said, we're going to be doing position reviews as well. So I'm going to be doing um, a review of the Jets front seven where I'll be basically talking about these guys for, for two hours. So if you don't think I'm bringing up a lot of film now, it's because I don't want to bring up too much film and not be able to talk about anything you know, in the, in the upcoming shows. So, and, and we have a ton of things to recap, so I can't spend forever on Williamson. So I, so basically these players, I'm going to show their main um, strengths. There's some, there's some things that popped out to me. And on, on this play right here, um, he is the, he's the Mike and he's on the strong side here. And I think they, they're in a cover four. Yeah. It looks like a cover four. And um, this is, this is Williamson. I'm circling with my, with my mouse. Uh, for people who are watching on YouTube, which if you're, I don't know why you're not watching on YouTube, but you know, I do understand. But here you see uh, the there's a trip set to the, eh, it's kind of in the middle. I'll call, I guess we'll call it the field side, but a trip set, tight trip set. And the receiver on the top of the formation releases uh, vertically on the seam route. And Avery Williamson carries him up to the seam. And then this this other receiver on the outside who releases a little bit more outside, and he comes on a curl. And this is this is a, this is a smart play because the the Jaguars are going to try to pull him out of his hook zone and then hit the curl while he's getting pulled out of his hook zone if he carries the seam route too far. Um, but Avery Williamson makes a smart play. He, he keeps his eyes on the curl and on his hook zone. He passes off the seam route and then jumps on this, um, on this curl. And you, see, and you see Blake Bortles looking at it right here on film. And then because Avery Williamson breaks on it, he decides to pull the ball, the ball back down because Avery Williamson's in position to make a play. So for a guy who, who can't cover, that's, that's a pretty impressive play. I'm not just showing him guarding, you know, a simple out, curl, hitch, whatever it may be. He's passing off seams, keeping his eyes in his, in his hook zone and jumping on a curl that they were looking to hit. So 
just that's just an example. There's more examples of him not being or, or being able to cover, but I thought that was a, that was a pretty good one to to illustrate that, Scott. Yeah, for sure. You could see it right there, plain as day. And I think, like you said, a lot of people that just listen to what people wrote in the newspaper or what people were saying based on what they had heard second or third hand are going to be pretty surprised when he ends up being a lot better in coverage than they thought. I'm gonna. I, I want to look up the uh, the Titans linebackers now because I forget. I forget what the two linebackers' names were who who replaced them. But they were they were pretty. Di- uh, Decent linebackers. Uh, Brian or, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Wesley Wood uh, Woodyard, Brian Arakbo played outside a little bit, and then I forget the other one who played some Derek Morgan. Well, like you said, they used Derek Morgan a lot. <coughs> Morgan yeah, plays yeah. on the D line, right? Yeah, I could be. I, I just I just looked up and like popped up on Google right here. But regardless, I know they had Woodyard who who played a lot, and they had another guy who played a lot, um, and then they had the guy who came on, or they had Cipher who came on third downs, which is kind of like the Adams role. If you can have a guy like right. Adams in verse, and I'm not comparing Avery Williamson like Jordan Jenkins or whoever it may be, but if you can have a more athletic guy on third and ten who can uh, cover more ground or get to his spot quicker, then why not why not use him? Uh, Avery Williamson is athletic, but he's he's not Jonathan Cyprian because he's not that he's not 225 pounds, so he can't move as sure. fast. Um, so it's not it's it's not a it's not a shot at him, but it's it just is what it is. And then in terms of his weaknesses, um, I think his aggression hurts him at times. Uh, especially, on, on, you know, as a backside defender on cutbacks or on misdirections, he kind of attacks the line of scrimmage a little bit too soon. He's not patient enough where uh, he allows cutbacks or, or things like that. Well, he'll attack the play side gap and he'll lose some backside responsibility because he is aggressive. So his aggressiveness does help him at times, but also we see it hurt him at times, which is a, which is a case with a lot of aggressive players. It's going to it's it's a win lose type of thing, but more time it's a win than a than a lose. Um, sometimes he also ducks his head into into linebackers where he'll lose the running back where he's more concerned. Um, he's more concerned with laying a shot on the offensive lineman than he should be on, uh, you know, looking at where the running back is going. But like I said, it, it is what it is. And this is one of the examples. And this is this is an extreme example of him being uh, too, too aggressive here. And this is a this is just a counter. And you see this is where you see him lose his, his backside gap responsibility. Uh, where you, you'd want to see him squat here, um, you know, maybe show some some hot feet or just, you know, shuffle shuffle in the open field to kind of get uh, – just just stay put. But instead he follows the blockers into the play side and he's not able to make the tackle where if he was to stay here, uh, where if he was to stay, you know, over what the, the BC gap um, here, he would be able to make the tackle. But unfortunately he runs too far onto the play side and isn't able to make a tackle. Now it's not a huge gain, but it is an example of, of some – uh, some some over aggression where you want to see him chop his feet and just kind of stay put until uh, the running back commits to that side because you know number fifty nine uh, is responsible for this side so nothing crazy but just an example so yeah and I think the Jets have a lot of guys on that defense who are going to have to learn to lay off a little bit who are a little over aggressive Williamson's yeah. one of them obviously Adams is another so that's something to keep an eye on because you don't want an entire defensive guys that are over aggressive, but I think that they're all relatively young, especially as we get to later on Adams and and May and guys like that. Yeah. Uh, I I expect better from them as they go along and get more experience, but hopefully Williamson learns to lay off a little bit. Yeah. That's a good point too, because they do uh, with, with Lee, with Williamson and with Adams um, that, that might be a concern with the Jets defense where I could see play action misdirection, hurting them a little bit because they are a young defense. And that's something that a 
you know, a veteran defense can handle mixed misdirections and things like that because they're, they're, uh, you know, they're smart and they're, and they're experienced. They know if that you, you know, attack a play side gap, they may cut it back or whatever it may be. So hopefully they'll learn. We'll see. Um, now, Scott, this is one I struggle with because I did favorite sign. Uh, least favorite sign for me, I really, honestly, I don't really have one. I don't know if you have one. Because <laughs> uh, um, I looked like, like, even like, I look okay, like maybe like Thomas Rolls, but he was signed for such a little contract that how can you, yeah. he's a, he's a camp body. I know you're not a big fan of Pryor, but at the same time, he wasn't signed for a lot. And he's a fourth receiver. Right. He recaptures anything he did in Cleveland two years ago, then how could you hate that sign? So I honestly, I really didn't have a sign that I hated um, the offseason. I, the one I did like at first with Josh McCown signing him to $10 million, I wasn't a huge fan of it. But then you realize the Jets have $100 million go, or $100 million plus going into next offseason. Right. Um, and all of that. And you can't um, count on Bridgewater to stay healthy. You can't, you can't count yeah. on Bridgewater to stay healthy. He's a fantastic mentor to, to Darnold. Like, I'm not really going to get a hit on that one either. So do you have any sign that you really didn't like? I didn't have any that I hated because, like you said, the ones that were the bigger signings, I thought yeah. were all pretty good. And the rest, even if I didn't like them, there's not a ton of downside. Like, you know, you mentioned Pryor. I wouldn't assign Pryor. I think he gets way too much credit for uh, one pretty nice stretch a couple of years ago. Beyond that, he's been a real pain in the butt. Uh, with the Browns and then with the Redskins, with the Browns, all his teammates hated his guts. Uh, they talked about it, in fact, openly. With the Redskins, at one point, he had to apologize to the locker room. He was hurt last year, too, and when he did play, he wasn't any good. No. So the one thing I worry about with him is if he does stick around, I hope he doesn't – they're trying to do something with this culture here, and I hope he doesn't become a little bit of a problem for that. Mm -hmm. That said – if he starts becoming a pain, they can get rid of him because they invested nothing in him. So I guess if you, if you forced me to pick one that I really didn't like, it would be prior, but there's so little invested that I'm not really that upset about it. Yeah. That culture thing is a good point too. And I worry with uh, Richard Robinson on the other side of the ball with yeah. that too. He has some concerns, but we'll get into him in a little bit as we recap the Jets entire, um, you know, off-season type of deal. Next, Scott, what do you have a favorite move in general that the, that the Jets did just in terms of um, not necessarily a signing, but a move they made? And mine is probably the same as yours. I just – I said trading up to three. I think I think having the balls <laughs> – trading up to three was probably the best thing they did all off-season because obviously the fact that they did that, they got Sam Darnold. Uh, if, if the Jets waited – because they did it on St. Paddy's Day, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken – um, yes. They traded. They traded months before, or you know, a month and some and some weeks before um, the draft actually came. So uh, they had the ball to do it. They did it soon. Whereas if you traded it on draft day, it might have been four second round picks, or two seconds and a first, or you know, two uh, first and two seconds, whatever it may be. Um, so I like that the, the fact that they did that because obviously they Michael Cagnon saw that he needed to address the quarterback position. Uh, was aggressive about it, traded up to three. So I'm going to say that was my favorite move of, of the offseason. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, that's an easy one. And I yeah. think if you listen to the series that I'm doing right now with Albert Breer and part four is going to come out on Friday, you'll hear a little bit about why the Jets decided to strike so early. And there are a couple of different reasons. You mentioned one that they were afraid that perhaps the price would go up. And there are a couple of different reasons why Again, if you listen on Friday, you'll hear from Albert Breer about it. But I, I think that McCagnan approached the quarterback position this offseason almost exactly the way that I would have. Kirk Cousins never should have been available. Scott Mason, available. stamp of approval. That's right. 
I mean, that, a, what is it now? $2.25 will get you on the subway or two seventy-five, whatever it is. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that Cousins never should have been available, right? The only reason he was is because the Redskins screwed up multiple times with him. Yeah. The fact that you would be put yourself in a position where it's even conceivable that your franchise quarterback could walk out the door in his prime without getting anything in return is just unfathomable to me and shows you how stupid the Redskins are. So for everybody that wants to say bad things about Woody Johnson, just be glad Daniel Snyder doesn't own this team. And so they went after Cousins, and they went after him hard. They really, really wanted him, and they tried. But it didn't work out. He went to Minnesota. So the backup plan was – and. You know, Joe, I know you and I had had discussions about this. Joe Caparoso was very vocal about it. And there were some people that said, why rush it or just sit at six? Look, you had to do this because if you were a believer like I was, and I'm pretty sure you were, that Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield were the only acceptable guys to come out of this draft with. 100%. If you, yeah, if you believe that, then you had to move up to three. Because you could not risk, look, it would have been possible, and we later found out, obviously, Rosen did slide to six. But you couldn't know that. You had no idea that that was going to happen. You couldn't risk somebody leapfrogging you. You had the Broncos in front of you. You knew the Browns were going to pick a quarterback for sure. The Giants, even they could have been a wild card because even if they didn't pick, even if they picked, uh, wanted Barkley, they might have been trading out of the pick. Somebody could have enticed them. So the Jets had no choice. They had to make that move to make sure that they got one of those three guys. Now, Joe, I'm pretty sure you and I agree on this. I don't think that anybody in their right mind thought Darnold would be available at number three. And I know Mike McCagnin and those guys were were dumbfounded. And again, this is, you'll hear about more about this with Albert Breer, but the Jets had a combination there of being aggressive and making the move they had to make, but also getting lucky. And sometimes you got to yeah. get lucky. You know, they got lucky with Jamal Adams here before, who they also didn't expect to be there when they were picking. And they were able to get Sam Darnold, who they never in a million years thought they were going to be able to get their hands on. And so, listen, yeah. it's hard. I love the move to begin with. And I guess I would say that I'm thrilled they got lucky too. But, yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, I was almost going to say I didn't want to pick that move because it was such an obvious one. But if we're going to include it on the table, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, um, I liked all three of those quarterbacks, too. My worry with Rosen was, well, I think he might be the safest quarterback. He does not have as high of a ceiling as as Darnold and Mayfield do, which we'll get into a lot next week with uh, Schofield. Um, we already got into it. We recorded an entire show and figured out it wasn't <laughs> recording. So we're basically going to have the same conversations again. So I know what we're going to get into. Um, but yeah, Donald, any one of those three, I was happy with, I was really teeter tiring between Donald and Mayfield. I remember at the end, like we'd be texting each other cause we talk a lot and I'd be like 51% Donald, 49%. Oh, uh, Rosen Mayfield. you mean, right? No, no, it was, it was no, no, it was Donald and, and Mayfield. I was tear, uh, tear tiring a lot between when we were, when we were talking right before the draft. Oh, I thought we were going back and forth between Rosen and Mayfield. Cause I, I know I didn't even think Donald was going to be there. No. Um, was it, it, it might've been. Oh, whatever. I think it was Rose. Yeah, I think it was Rose. Yeah. But regardless, I, I had I had okay. So I had Donald as my number one quarterback. So did you when we did those like pre pre draft rankings or whatever did for the quarterbacks. We both had him at one. I was really excited he was there. And if you stayed sure. at six, and like you said, I think I think Rosen fell to ten though with uh, for the Cardinals. Yes. Yeah, to ten. So. Yep. Uh, let's say you know Mayfield goes well, one. We didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So so if Mayfield goes one, Donald goes two to the Giants. And then, you know, somebody trades up from wherever to, tr- to take uh, 
you know, uh, Rosen or whoever it may be at three and all three are gone. And then you're, you're left choosing between, you know, Allen, who no way, no way. And Lamar Jackson, no way. Uh, there's some people who had Not a number six. No, no. no. Some people had him like rated above Donald and stuff. I, I yeah, that's. I would, I would, I would like to to see what what you're seeing, um, but whatever. Uh, let's move off of that least favorite move, um, for me at least. I actually, I, I liked Coney Ely. I wanted the Jets to resign Coney Ely. There's some, there's some packages the Jets could use Coney Ely over, let's say, uh, you know, a David Bass or a Malden or whoever it may be on the edge. And I, I thought he played pretty well. He disappeared at the end of the season, but for only one year. Uh, with the Cowboys for $1.25 million. I, I, I thought it would have been worth it to sign him back. Really, really good at getting his hands up at the line of scrimmage, which was fantastic. He had like nine nine batted passes and ridiculously a low amount of snaps. I think like the highest in the season is like 12 by J.J. Watt. So even if he's not offering a ton as you know a, a defensive end in a run game or as a pass rusher, just that you know ability to get your hands up at the line of scrimmage and disrupt some short passing lanes. Uh, especially in, a, in an aggressive defense where the Jets blitz a lot, so teams have to get the ball out quickly, um, was was an, an, an important piece to me, and I, I thought it'd been worth it to re-sign him for such low money. Um, unfortunately, they they did not. But I would say that was my my least favorite move of the offseason. For me, I guess it would be a failure to even attempt to address the outside rusher situation. I know that they yeah. didn't have a lot of wiggle room because. They traded away their second round picks and they were using their first round pick on Darnold. And obviously there weren't really any impactful free agents because it's so difficult. Although the news broke that Demarcus Lawrence now is going to end up being an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. So if he puts up another big sack year, you know, like you mentioned, the Jets are going to have a hundred million dollars in cap space. They better go knocking on Demarcus Lawrence's door the second that they can and, and finally solve that edge rusher thing. But I still would have done something. I would have tried to find a quality piece in the third or fourth round if I could have. What do you mean? We got Courtney Upshaw. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, ironically, I liked Courtney Upshaw coming out of college. <laughs> so did I. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked so well in the NFL. But it just drives me nuts, Joe, because the last time the Jets really had an impactful outside rusher it was John Abraham. And now that's a dozen years ago. They never replaced him. They tried once, and it backfired horribly when they drafted Vernon Golston in 2008. But I would like to see them make some sort of high-level investment in an edge rusher. I mean, if Demarcus yeah. Lawrence does become available, like I said, back up the trucks and pay the man. Because, Joe, you and I agree on this, obviously. There are several positions that are at a premium, but the two that you just can never, ever, ever get a really impactful guy in his prime on the open market or almost never, without giving up compensation, is quarterback and edge rusher. Now, Cousins was the anomaly of anomalies this past year, and it looks like Lawrence maybe also, because I love Ziggy Ansah, but no one really even knows how old he is. He doesn't, he doesn't fit in his defense. He doesn't, right. so it doesn't matter. And he doesn't fit the defense too, right. But I'm just saying, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is a guy yeah. in his prime, what is he, 25, 26 years old, something like that. So Toronto, yeah. They got to they gotta go after him. But, yeah, that drove me nuts, the fact that they didn't even try to make some sort of investment in the outside rusher. Yeah, and it was like a thin market for that, too. Uh, and sure. Ziggy, Ziggy, honestly, I, I just – it's such like a simple argument. You just have to look into it a little bit. He's a 4-3 he's a, he's a end. He's not, he's not a guy who's going to be able to clog right. up multiple gaps 
Um, people say, oh, well, just, you know, put him in as pass rusher or try to try to work around it. Like, you don't want to have to work around it or play him not as much because you want to fit him into a defense. You're paying him $17 million a year. Or you just you, he, He's not a fit in this defense, so it makes no sense to sign him um, at all. I think he's like 275. You can't be a, a defensive end in a 3-4 uh, at, at 275. You just – you can't. And isn't he pushing 30 also? That's another concern. Yeah, he was drafted in – was that, was that 13 with Sheldon and, and Milner? I believe I believe it was. Right, right. but remember, he started football really a little bit older at BYU. So, yeah, yeah. He, I think he could be getting close to 30. So that's another concern on top of everything that you just said. So, And I like Ansel a lot. I think he's a really good player. 29. Him coming out of B- yeah, there you go. So he'd be yeah. 30 by the time next season happens when he'd be available. I, I, I like Ansel a ton coming out of BYU, and I would have loved for the Jets to have picked him when they uh, when they picked D Milliner instead, unfortunately, he went ahead of D Milliner. But your your points are 100 percent valid. I don't know how good of a fit he would be in this defense. And good. on top of it, the fact that he's going to be you know 30 years old. But Demarcus Lawrence is the guy I'm hoping will finally be the end of this. Me complaining on a yearly basis about how they haven't done it. Let's let's rushing. let's address. Okay, so there's two things. One, this is the first show that we're releasing, so let's let's. Uh, Let's calm down to Vernon Golston uh, comparison. <laughs> out Vernon Golston's answers to depress people. Um, yeah, but two, we, we listen. We got a quarterback hopefully now, so let's start addressing the problems one by one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the problem with the Jets roster, and that's why a lot of people are, are projecting the Jets to not be too too good. One because they're young, but quarterback, it's it's another. It's you're unsure what's going to happen. They're missing a great offensive line, which is a huge part of the team. They don't have an outside oh, yeah. rusher, so they're missing. They're missing like three of the five really main positions. But the Jets are able to, you know, address the offensive line, whether it be in free agency or in the draft next year. Let's say with the first round pick to a left tackle, and maybe getting a new guard from James Carpenter, addressing that left side, and kind of seeing how Shell develops. Pro Bowl guard James Carpenter, Joe. Yeah, uh, it's uh, and then uh, and then how Winters develops. We'll see what happens with Long, but if they start showing up the offensive line. We signed an outside an outside rusher, let's say like Lawrence, which is a long shot because there's going to be probably you know 25 teams bidding for his services. At the same oh, sure. time, the Jets are a young and upcoming team. If Donald proves something, and oh. teams, this is an attractive place to go to next year potentially. So if we right, get that, if right. we get that outside linebacker, and we get, I'm, I'm going to say another middle linebacker to pair with Avery Williamson, because I just don't think the lead necessarily has it. This defense can be a top 10 unit next year if they address some of those things. Well, so. here's my dream scenario. My dream scenario would be that Mike McCagney does what he did with Kirk Cousins and says, hey, look, DeMarcus, blank check. Tell me what it's going to take. And they sign him and they're able to get him because, like you said, Joe, look, if Darnold plays this year and the Jets play well or better than expected, and even if they don't make the playoffs, maybe they go 8-8 eight and eight or whatever, and they're seen as a team on the rise and a lot of good young talent, Maybe Demarcus Lawrence is enticed to play here for the right amount of money. And then you go into the draft and you don't have to worry about your biggest need anymore. And you can invest in the offensive line, which as you were talking about, it's one of their weakest spots. And I really liked. I think it is their weakest spot. Yeah, no. Well, that and edge rusher, I guess, at this point are are both. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Edge rusher is one offensive line is two, but uh... yeah. So let's so let's, I know you're about to say something, but let's move on because we do have a lot. I think we're only we have like okay. five pages of things to get on. Uh, sure. So let's go to the next one, which might be I know the name you just said, and that's the name that's going to be for this uh, biggest boomer bust signing is Spencer Long. Uh, I I watched the film. I really really like Spencer Long. I think he's in probably like that 13 to 15 range in terms of centers in the NFL. So he's a 
average or above, slightly above average offensive lineman, I, I would say, or center, and I would say. But he only played what six games last year. Um, Twenty-seven years old, six-four, a uh, really long frame. He was relatively healthy before this year, uh, but he did have some knee injuries uh, that he battled through. Some knee injuries in college, I believe. So he has some. Uh, concerns there because he did have, like I said, a knee injury in college that did require surgery. Third round pick in 2014. Uh, really strong player, uh, really good uh, anchor, great balance. He's nasty, really nasty. I like that. Uh, quick out of his stance. He's, you know, so I, I like those things about him. I guess I'll get more into it in an actual show about him. Um, but just talk about the the, uh, the Spencer Long signing a little bit. And if that's your biggest boomer bust sign, I don't know if it is. But if, if not, just give me yours too. I love Spencer Long. I was pounding the table for him uh, the whole time that free agency was going on. And part of it at the beginning was I thought he would be a great fit with Cousins because they have a rapport. But the more I watched of him, and obviously you broke him down much better than I did and, and much more extensively, I just found that he it matched what I watched when I was living in the D.C. area and watching him play. He's nasty. He's And again, remember – He's only been playing center for two years. He's a convert from the guard position. So yeah. there's room for him to get better. And he's not that old, like you said, 27 years old. And when healthy, he was, yeah, like you said, somewhere I would say in that 13 to 15-ish range. But he could improve on that. Now, obviously, like you said, there are the injury concerns. But there, I guess you could say boomer bust in a sense. But the Jets don't have a lot invested here. They gave him $6 million guaranteed. So if he doesn't hold up, the end of the year comes and they just get rid of them and they move on to the next thing. So there's not a ton of risk. Yeah. I, can see, I can see what you're saying. If we're going in that regard in terms of just the flat out idea of a guy that's either going to be really good or really bad and you know nothing in between, I think Pryor is probably my pick because, again, here's a guy that did zero in Washington and who had a nice stretch in Cleveland – but you just you can't say for sure he's still injured. Mm -hmm. And was he kind of a half-year wonder in Cleveland? Or was he – is it just that he's so big and fast? Or have teams figured him out? We don't really know what to expect out of Terrell Pryor. So I think if we're going that route of the guy's either going to be potentially really, really good or really, really bad, I'll go with Pryor. But I will say, and I'll give McCagney credit on this, I don't think that there were any signings with the possible exception of Tremaine Johnson. And I would have to look at the structure of that contract. There weren't that many signings that he made that are going to be incredibly damaging to the team if they don't work out just based on the way that they're structured. So while long is a boomer bust in a sense because of the injury stuff, again, if the jets have to cut him even after one year, it's really no big deal. They give him 6 million guaranteed and move on, you know? Yeah, I, I believe the uh, Tremaine Johnson is like – it's basically like three years, $45 million is basically what they're um, giving him because all that really matters is the um, guaranteed money. So, sure. yeah, you know, so that's not – it's not a crazy contract, but, uh, yeah, it, it can hurt him if he doesn't play well. And I think Tremaine Johnson's in that – we discussed it a couple of weeks ago. I think, like, he's uh, he's kind of in that, like, 12 to 15 range, 10 to 15 sure. range, you can you can argue. But there are some damn good corners in the NFL. But yeah, in terms of – um. In terms of that nastiness, I just wanted to show a couple of videos of him, uh, and this and this is like, um, this is just an example. Like a lot of a lot of offensive linemen here, he kind of he's kind of like throwing out that feeler hand to see if anybody's coming into his gaps, doesn't feel anybody coming to his gap to his left side. 
Um, and instead of just standing there, maybe tapping somebody or getting in position to block somebody, he's going to lower his head and just truck you over. And, <laughs> and, I, and I love that because it gives you a nastiness when, you, when you're rushing against the Jets' offensive line or obviously you know, up, up the middle you're going to have that thought in the back of your mind, okay, is Spencer Long about to lay me out? So I like that nastiness. It makes defensive linemen think twice and hesitate a little bit. And we, and we see it here, like I said, with that, with that three-tech, maybe more of a four-eye-tech, actually. Um, he, he doesn't have anybody to block, and instead of just standing there and checking people with his hands, he, he lays a shot and knocks number 95 on his ass here. So I, I really, really like um, that type of play from Spencer Long, and it's, and it's nice to see, especially – uh, after coming off of a guy like frickin' Wesley Johnson, who is just a joke in, oh, God, in, in yeah. many many aspects of his game. And then another this is another example of one of his strengths where I said he's quick out of his stance and he's strong. And you see him at he's a center right here. So if you don't know where the center is, then uh, I don't know. Uh, but obviously right here. And he's really quick out of his stance where he doesn't have, like, great athleticism where he's not fast, and we'll show that in a second. Um, but in terms of quickness out of his stance because of his leg strength and his, and his, his trunk and how powerful it is, he's able to explode out of his stance. And you see it here. You see how fast he gets he gets out of his stance before the defensive lineman, um, this two-eye tech, is really able to react to it. Uh, and he's sealing he seal him to the backside on, on this counter run. And if they play it in full speed, you can kind of see it faster. But he's, he's there fast. Uh, good, good leverage. He's really strong. He's, he's, the defensive lineman has no shot here to, to get to the play side gap. Once he gets his hands on you, uh, which he has some strong hands and he gets his base behind him, his anchor, you're, you're not really going to be able to go anywhere. So this is just an example of his, his strength here. So it's, it's, it's nice to see from um, Spencer Long. That's a lot of these, these stuff I, I saw when I was watching him yeah. on, on film. And then in terms of the, the, the weaknesses that I want to discuss, like I said, his speed, he looks like he's running in quicksand at some times, obviously the injuries. Um, and because of that speed and athleticism, he does struggle to get in the most advantageous position on whether it be like a pull or a trap block, whatever it may be. So I see that feet are a little bit slow. Uh, he plays with a really good base, but his upper body at times is, is a little bit too high where he doesn't really get under his pads um, where he has to struggle to anchor where if he was, he was to play um, more slanted uh, towards the defensive lineman or the blitz or whoever it may be, um, he would be able to really generate that power from his hips, but sometimes his body uh, is not because obviously, you know, if, if your legs are, are going this way and your body is up like this, you're not gonna be able to generate that full power from your, uh, from your, from your hips. So, but if your body's like this and you can generate them both, it's, it's, it's easier. So I'm trying to just a little display with my hands there. So if you are watching <laughs> on YouTube, um, that's what you're able to see. I'm sure that's why you'll be watching on YouTube. That's what it is. What it is. If you're, if your whole body's linked together, you're able to generate more power. So I think you struggle with that a little bit. And then this play, um, this is just, it's where, oh, I, I guess this is, uh, I brought up, the, I brought up the, the wrong play here. So let's talk about that. I'll try to bring up the right play. I, I screwed up a little bit there, Scott. Did you find it? Did you find it? Oh yeah, here, hold on. Just give me one second and I, here we go. That was, that was an example of his tight hips, uh, which he does have as well, but this play, this is just looks like a it's an inside. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it an inside zone or no. I'll call I'll call it a mid zone. I'll call it a mid zone, and you see him. This is what I said like running running in quickstand here. Look how it 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 does. It looks like he's like when you're playing like those old video games or like you're playing like Bowser or something like that. Big and powerful, but he's not quick at all. And you see him trying to get to this uh, this play side linebacker, the will. And he's just not able to get, like I said, to the most advantageous position to block him. He just, he just doesn't, he doesn't have speed. 
and it, it really shows right there. It just it looks like he's just running ridiculously slow. So he's got some of his weaknesses. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I think that he's obviously not the the fastest guy in the world. Sometimes he, like you said, he can be a little lead footed. Uh, I, I think that the injuries are obviously the biggest thing you worry about. It's not a physical limitation as far as his play, but it's a physical limitation as far as what you could get out of him on the team. I do think, though, if he stays healthy, even with some of the weaknesses, he's good enough that he can continue to grow and get better and potentially become a top 10 to 12-ish type of center and I, look, for, again, for $6 million guaranteed investment, I think it's a great move. And a lot of people will talk about Ryan Jensen. And don't get me wrong, I think Jensen's a better center, no question. But go look at what the Ravens gave Ryan Jensen contract-wise and compare it to Spencer Long, and you'll see the difference. So, I, again, I, I think there are some downsides to Long, and there's a reason why you put him in, in your boomer bust. A lot of it is because, you know, he has his weaknesses, but a lot of it's because of the injuries. Oh, yeah, but I do think that he's going to be a, a really, really good center for the Jets if he can stay on the field. Yeah, and let's just run through the other ones. We have two more topics before we get to the positions, the battles to watch in camp, and the overall roster. So we might go a little bit over, but it is what it is. Um, so if you have to jump off at any time, Scott, just let me know. Uh, no. But so X Factor player, so I'll go through it quickly. I, I, I'm going to put that as Terrell Pryor. Um, 2017 with the Redskins got 20 receptions, 240 yards, some injury issues. 2016 with the Browns, like that half year wonder, like you said, 77 receptions, uh, 1,007 yards, four touchdowns, 6'4, 230, really big frame, long, can run. Uh, he can make some crazy catches, but also at the same time, he drops some really easy balls at times. So he's kind of a, he's an inconsistent player where he disappears. Uh, bad routes. I don't like his route running. I watched a little bit of him the other day. Uh, both yeah, in Washington and his Browns. His routes are not good. At his all. routes are not good. Uh, I'll highlight that more in the. I'll probably do receivers and tight ends in the same show. Um, he also has some character concerns. And then, uh, Scott, any any thoughts on X Factor player sound? Let's kind of let's run through it real quick. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know what when you say X Factor, do you mean the guy that can really be a difference maker or I'm yeah like sure. a, like a kind of like a okay. under the radar difference maker oh, under the radar yes type yeah say tremaine johnson but if we're talking about under the radar hmm you know what i'm gonna stay with the receivers but i'm gonna go with chad hansen i've been hearing a ton about him coming out of camp uh all the players have been saying that he really progressed he's yeah. a guy that i really really liked at cal and thought that he could be a really solid receiver in the NFL. I thought it would be a, an ideal number three type. And he may take that step this year because I don't know what we're getting out of Pryor, who you just mentioned. I don't really expect anything. Uh, Jermaine Curse is a, a nice, solid receiver, but he's completely replaceable. And then you have the other two guys, Anunua and Anderson. Anunua coming off a major neck injury. Anderson has some other issues that he has to deal with. <laughs> So Hanson could yeah. find a way to, to surprise people, but keep your eye on him. He could be somebody that could sneak in there. Yeah, it's another guy we'll recap in that show. That that friggin' wide receiver's tight end show I have in my notes here. I still have to break down Pryor, Ardarius Stewart, Hanson, uh, Charles Johnson, Roberts, Tomlinson, Sterling, Walford, Leggett, and Hernan. So that's going to come in a couple weeks. <laughs> i got to give me a couple, couple days or a couple weeks to do all that. So, uh, yeah, but I like I like Hanson, um, but – you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with him. It's going to be an interesting battle between him and, and uh, Pryor for that, for that fourth spot. But, 
Scott, last topic before we get into some of the battles to watching camp, the best positions or worst positions on the roster. Best positions, I'm, I'm not going to go into all, but I think the wide receivers in the secondary, um, at least in my opinion, sure. are, are definitely the best positions. I think the fact that the Jets have been rated like bottom three in skill positions and worst uh, receiving group in the NFL and all this type of stuff is just – if you think that, like I'm not being biased and I'm going to do my best to not be biased because, one, I'm bringing up film, so you can't really argue with film at times. Um, but to say that the Jets even have a bottom like 10 wide receiver group is, is out of control. You're crazy. You don't watch film. You just don't. And it's just easy to label the Jets as a bad team with bad skill positions because that's, it's an easy shot. And at the same time, um, if you're a writer and you're trying to get clicks or you're going to get more time or more article clicks by crapping on the Jets and the Giants or crapping on the Arizona Cardinals, you know? So I'm sure. not, I'm, obviously they have Larry Fitzgerald. I just picked a random team in a, in a smaller market. Um, so I think wide receiver and secondary are really, really strong in this team. Obviously, uh, the Jets have some depth problems at cornerback potentially, but on the top of it, they, they have some some solid players there, and safeties is obviously a strength as well. Um, in terms of the worst position on the roster that I'm worried about, uh, outside linebacker, like we talked yeah. about before, uh, mm-hmm. tight end is another one that I'm concerned about, and offensive line is obviously right. um, another one. So uh, how about you, Scott? Yeah, I think the strongest positions are the secondary and the receivers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because last year I would never have said either one of those, but Quincy Inunua coming back was a huge boost to the wide receiver core. And on the other end, the signing of Tremaine Johnson changes everything. So really think about it. Tremaine Johnson and Quincy Inunua take these two units from uh, to pretty good. And that's really going to be interesting to watch because a lot of people have really downgraded the Jets wide receiver core people that are outside of New York, as you mentioned. And look, Dan Orlovsky is the one that got a lot of attention. If you go and read what Dan actually said, he wasn't saying what a lot of people were trying to stop trying to defend your friend. (laughs) He's (laughs) an asshole. I'm kidding. kidding. ESPN is Dan Orlovsky. No, in, in all seriousness though, what Dan was saying, and he clarified this, he likes wider so he likes Anunu a lot in fact he called him uh baby um, uh Anquan Bolden he likes Robbie mm-hmm. Anderson he likes uh Jermaine Curse and, and and Hanson and those guys but what he was trying to say was you've got nobody on this roster that at, at, at receiver who's had more than one year of really good production so Nunwa had a really nice 2016 but he's hurt in 2017 you had Anderson who had a really nice 2017 but only that one year and then you know curse is okay but he's nothing out of the ordinary so all he was saying is he wanted a more proven wide receiver core for Sam Darnold when he eventually plays so I get that but that said those he's still guys wrong are all pre- well <laughs> hey listen that's fine but those guys were all pretty good and the secondary look you expect Adams and May to step up yeah I think there became this narrative about May and part of it, I think, is because people were so glad that a second-round pick finally wasn't just an utter bust. But there became this narrative about May that he was better than he actually was in his rookie year. And I yeah. think he was fine for a first-year safety, especially when picked in the second round. I mean, if it had been Adams, I would have been a little more nervous. But yeah. I think people need to temper their expectations with May. The way I've kind of described it is, and you mentioned our friend Eric McMillan, if – Jamal Adams could be on that Eric McMillan level, but sustain it over a long period of time. So be a long time pro bowl, all pro 
type player. And then if Marcus May could be sort of that Victor Green type of safety. Like a where Marcus Gilchrist type guy? I, God, I hope he's better than Marcus Gilchrist. <laughs> okay. but, but if he could be that Victor Green type, like the long-term guy there, he's not going to make a bunch of pro balls or necessarily turn a lot of heads, but just be a real solid safety. That's all you really should expect out of him. So if Adams takes that leap and, and continues to be a really good center field type, and, and obviously he's got a lot of different skills too, but sort of that free safety in the mold of the two guys – previously that were good at that position that the Jets had, which were Eric McMillan and Kerry Rhodes. And then you obviously you'd want him to be like a super version of those guys and may becomes a good player. And you have Tremaine Johnson, who at the very least is a reliable, very good corner. Well, now that secondary becomes from a weak spot last year to very good. Oh, and now, yeah. They, they yeah, can be the top 10 unit. No, 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 no. I interrupted you, but um I think they could be a top 10 unit. And with Marcus yeah. May, Adams, I think that's cra- a crazy narrative that Marcus May was better than Adams. I, I think that, one, Adams was on the screen more, so more of his mistakes showed up with a missed tackle, whatever it may, may be, ankle tackle, so they can die forward from two, three yards of running back or receiver tight end, whatever it may be. But uh, Marcus May is one of those guys who you don't really see on the broadcast angle, and you look at stats, okay, how many long balls were the Jets beat from? Right. Oh, not a lot. That means Marcus May is playing well. That's not necessarily true because the Jets with their corners were playing off in soft coverage a lot. Cover They, played, they, they mostly play cover three and cover four, um, but cover three, the, the corners are responsible for you know two-thirds of the field. So is it all Marcus May? Not necessarily. Um, and a lot of times on film, and I've talked about this with you, uh, there was there was probably at least I'm gonna say three to five times on film where he was beat pretty badly for a touchdown, but the Jets secondary just wasn't good, so somebody else was even more open than he was. Uh, whoever whoever Marcus May is responsible for, so that just mm-hmm. shows up on film. But uh, Scott, next um, next. Well, re- real quickly, I'll say weaknesses. I, I yeah agree yeah it's with right. you. It's it's pretty obvious. Edge rusher oh. is a huge weakness. I mean, come on. And offensive line is also. Not good. I like Spencer Long. If he stays healthy, that'll help. Winters, obviously, is healthy now as opposed to last year, so hopefully that helps. And you hope that Dennison finds ways to get better results out of Carpenter. But if you look at what happened last year, a lot of people like to talk themselves into Brandon Shell being better than he actually is. I think he's below average as a pass blocker and way below average as a run blocker. Oh, he's bad as a run blocker, yeah. Yeah, well, that I was, yeah, I was trying to way below average is my way of saying bad. I think he's got a lot of improving to do before we can actually pencil him in as the starting right tackle for any length of time. Yeah, Beecham's okay. That's the best thing I could say about him. He's, he's not, decent, yeah. Yeah, he's not terrible, but he's serviceable at best. He can't be your best he, offensive lineman. If he is, then you're in a lot of trouble. Which we'll he see, is. Though. Yeah, well, right now, we don't know. Because if Spencer Long stays healthy. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking in terms of last year, he was the best yeah, offensive yeah. lineman. He's kind sure. of like, he's, Beecham's kind of like what Shell wants to be. Where, where he's, a, he's a good pass blocker or a solid pass blocker, but a bad run blocker. And I think you right. say way below average because I guess you kind of throw average in there and it makes it easier to listen to and people are thinking of being a little more positive. <laughs> but right. just say bad. You can just say bad. Yeah. Okay, um, he was really bad. He and, this really is bad. A, and this is a play for – I talk about all the time that, like, Winters, yeah, listen, he was injured, so that might have affected his play a little bit, which it, it most likely did. Um, but this is like a twofer where I talk about that they're really not that good. 
Um, this is just an inside zone where they're coming off of, off of their combo blocks to the second level. You see how like high and clunky Winters comes into his block where he's not really setting his feet. He's not driving. He doesn't have a good base. He's playing super high. And uh, Carpenter is going into, in, into his block, like I said, on this inside zone. And it's kind of like lazily just throwing his hands out there, not even really driving his his feet, and has like a, almost like too too wide of a of a base. Maybe not too too wide, maybe but a slight bit too wide, like right there. He doesn't really have his um, full legs like Benrick really, you know, push into the block. But regardless, you're going to the second level, and you have your hand, you're squared up on linebackers. You're supposed to be able to finish this block. It's it's not a hard block to finish. If if Wimber if, if Winter. Uh, sorry, Winters and Carpenter were able to drive through their blocks right here. This can potentially be a big gain uh, because there's only a safety to beat, which this might be Stewart. I think that's 26 on the uh, on the Broncos. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it's, it, this is a twofer. So it's a perfect example of you know this is the the, the Pro Bowl guard as a left guard here, and uh, Winters just like look at that look at that foot like the feet are just super clunky and just not good technique at all. Look how high his body. Oh is, yeah. Too. Um, For sure. And this is where, Joe, I think you and I agree. A lot of people gave John Morton a lot of flack for not running the ball much last year. But what was he supposed to do? The the offensive line couldn't run block. He had no choice. He had to throw the ball. It was the only way they could move the ball down the field. You hope that changes this year now with the upgrade at center with Spencer Long and a healthier uh, version of Winters. But Last year, they had no choice. So, look, you want the run game to be at least moderately effective, especially if Darnold is in, because the last thing you want is to have to make Sam Darnold throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. But, man, if that offensive line doesn't improve from last year, they're going to have no choice. Because, look, I, I don't care how good you think Isaiah Crowell or Bilal Powell are. Look at that play right there. That's proof. Right there, and that ha- that kind of stuff was happening routinely. Oh, and, and Joe, I, I'm and, sure you could pull up tons of plays like that. Oh yeah, and and this is this is him being he's able to work past the line of scrimmage here. There's plays where there's defenders two, two yards into the backfield before he even gets the ball. So they were really bad. I just kind of put this play up because I didn't want to put up too many plays, but this is a twofer. And just for those um, football nerds, this back this backside block to get to the second level. That's a Charlie combo block. And this front side block between the guard and the center is an ace combo block, um, if you want to know. And people, like I said, people have different terminology for everything. That's what I call it. Um, and there's, like I said, depends on where you learn from, but that's that's what um, my style is. That's what I call them. But um, regardless, it's it's a – sorry, I just – whatever. But um, Nah, man, that's why we that's why we <laughs> take it, Joe. We want to hear your expertise. How many no. people could actually diagnose that kind of stuff that way? So that, they keep doing it, man. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's a twofer. They both can't hold their blocks on linebacker. It's gross. It is what it is. <laughs> so let's go move on to the next things. Position battles to watch in camp. Uh, we'll probably have the same ones. I probably put too much in here, but we're, we'll try to breeze through it. Like I said, we have so much freaking information to cover in such a small amount of time. Um, you might have to listen to this episode in two parts. I'm not going to break it down into two parts, but listen to an hour today, an hour tomorrow, whatever. Uh, so the first one I, I, I put is uh, the running back battle. I think um, the battle between kind of McGuire being able to get his way into that rotation is an interesting one. And I also think if they do carry a fourth running back, that's going to be kind of interesting um, if it's going to be Rawls or, or Cannon. And then also at fullback, I think that's going to be Interesting. Is it, is it going to be Lawrence Thomas, the 290-pound fullback, or is it going to be Dimitri Flowers, you know, undrafted free agent? 
out of Oklahoma. But uh, like I said, let's talk about a, a, a McGuire a, a little bit. Uh, what do you, what are your thoughts going, you know, of him going into this year? I thought people got really excited about him after that run in Jacksonville last year. I just, I don't know that I expect a lot out of him. He was a sixth round draft pick. And other than that one run, he didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Now, granted, as we've already talked about, there wasn't yeah. much that he could do behind that offensive line. Don't get me wrong. I think his best chance is to become some sort of weapon in the passing game because mm-hmm. I just don't see him as a better runner, especially better runner than Crowell, but I don't see him being a better runner than Powell either. The best case scenario is if he steps up and can be, I guess you would say a younger version of Powell in terms of being uh, an occasional weapon in the passing game and maybe getting the odd carry here and there. That's the best I'd hope for with him. But my hopes are no higher than that. I don't expect him to be some sort of major impact player by any means. And I think with the running back situation, you Mm -hmm. have to go into this assuming that Isaiah Crowell is going to be the guy that gets the most carries. He may not get the most touches per se, because Bilal Powell might get a lot of – might get a lot of passes thrown his way, but I, I definitely think that uh, you're going to be looking at Crowell getting the most carries and McGuire's best chance is to become a weapon at least a little bit in that passing game and try and get, get open in the, um, in the flat and on screens and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's going to be him and, uh, and Powell as the receiving backs. Now Crowell can do it. He actually does really, he has a, he has really good hands. Um, but I'll show it later. I am not impressed with this pass blocking. Uh, when he when he wants to do it, he can do it. But he is like super lazy in pass blocking, in, in my opinion, where he kind of just receives the block instead of um, taking it to the whoever's blitzing the safety, the linebacker. But uh, McGuire, he does run really clean routes. Uh, he is really good at catching the ball, so he might emerge as one of the best, like a a good uh, you know third down option receiving back. But I think this sure. is one guy that I'm uh, I think I'm openly going to be wrong on. Uh, I didn't like him coming out of college, but as of right now, I think he's going to be a decent player. Maybe not a you know three down back type of player, but a guy who could be like a role player kind of like Powell has been through his career. Um, right. And when you pick a guy in the sixth round, that's if, and you can get him to that level, if that's what happens, that's a win. Yeah. And this is a clean route too. And, and it's, it's an angle, it's an angle route. You see this linebacker who is coming a little bit too hard outside, but you see some like clean footwork from him here. You see how low his, his leg drops, which he drops his hips, which allows you to explode out of your legs, which allows you to explode out of your route. Um, which you see right there, his leg is like parallel to the ground, and also that back foot. When you when you're when you're planting that back foot and you're dragging it like that, and it's opened inside, that allows you to open your hips um, more to the inside or quicker to the inside. Where if his foot was forward, it's harder to fight against that that foot because your hips aren't able to work past that foot. If that makes sense. Um, I don't know if I explained it well, but the fact that he drags his foot like that is opening up to the inside and running that angle route because of that linebacker coming out too far to the outside um, is nice. And McCown is able to deliver him the ball. And, uh, he, you know, gets a, what, a 20-yard gain or something like that, maybe a little bit yeah. less. So uh, pretty pretty impressive. I'm going to bring up a another one of, of McGuire um, that's pretty impressive. I think this is just – the one I'm going to bring up is just on a, a check route right here. Let's just pull it up on the screen. Um, okay. Like I said, it, go on YouTube, subscribe to Turn on the Jets. Uh, I think it's just Turn on the Jets on YouTube. You can find us. 
uh, we're going to try to draw up those subscribers a lot. Maybe we'll do like a giveaway for a thousand subscribers, something like that. But uh, a lot of this podcast is going to be trying to explain it for podcasts or the audio only listeners. But if you're watching on YouTube, you can see my face. Uh, I don't know if you want to. You can see Scott Scott's face. <laughs> you definitely don't want to. And uh, but you can see the film we're talking about. So instead of hearing me talk about him dropping his hips and pointing that back foot to the inside, you can see it. Um, but like on this play, it's just a, it's a it's a check route. And he knows he, he's going to have to turn quick. There's two linebackers in the hook zone there. Uh, again, drops that hip, those hips low, plants hard on that outside foot. He sticks his foot in hard there on his left foot, and he explodes to the outside. He breaks two arm tackles, one from Telvin Smith and one from, uh, not, it looks like 91. I'm not sure who that is. Maybe not, yeah, 91 or 97. But he breaks two arm tackles right there um, while exploding uh, to cut up field, and he, and he picks up. Uh, you know, good, whatever, 20 yards again there. So I, I, he does have some potential. He, he, he's pretty clean in his cuts. He's pretty explosive out of his cuts, can break arm tackles, run some good routes, has some good hands. So I, I think he has potential this year. Um, and I'm hoping he gets, you know, let's say 25% of the snaps instead of seeing really like none like he did last year. So. Yeah, I think that uh, if he can get out into the open field like that, he's got the speed. So that's his big ticket. If he can make a couple of plays, he might be able to stake his ground for not only this year, but going into 2019. Because like you said, the Jets have a ton of cap space going into next season. And yeah. there's a gentleman named Le'Veon Bell who's going to be on the open market. No, so don't do it. No, 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 no. I wouldn't sign him. I'm just saying you never know <laughs> what the Jets No, we're do. signing we're signing a new new guards and maybe a new right tackle. And we're and signing Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then maybe some depth corners, we'll say. But – um, so yeah, I, I think I think he's a pretty I think he's a pretty good uh, option right now as a receiving guy. We'll see if he can make his way into the lineup more. Uh, can or you know just in looking in terms of I guess McGuire's stats last year, 88 rushes for 315 yards, 3.6 yard average. A lot of his runs I'll break down in that show with offensive line and running backs. He had nowhere to go, so I can't really blame yeah. too much. And, and Trenton Cannon, yeah. and oh, yeah, sorry Joe, but Tr- Trenton Cannon. He's going to make this team if he can return kicks. Otherwise, I can't see any way for him to make it. Yeah, that's that's a battle that's between you know him and maybe like our Darius Stewart and Andre Roberts for that. How much can you contribute as a running back and as a returner? But you look at him, right. six rounder, explosive athlete. He ran the four four. Um, I I I mean, he ran a forty and a four four. Uh, ten foot nine broad jump is really impressive. Thirty inch point five vertical, which is super impressive. It shows your burst. Um, 1.49 10 yard split, which is really, really good. Good hips. He makes quick cuts, but at the same time, he's I think he's like 175 pounds, 180 pounds. Uh, Division two doesn't break a lot of tackles. Uh, so we'll see if he can make the roster. Now the next battle in terms of running backs too. Like I said, uh, Lawrence Thomas versus Dimitri Flowers. Thomas I thought was decent last year. He's kind of like a meh type player. Uh, he was big, but he still wasn't super powerful, even though he was big. Uh, wasn't a great or smart blocker. Now with Dimitri Flowers, who's everybody's favorite undrafted free agent, it's an easy one. Uh, six foot two, 248. He played H-back. He played some tight end. He was a smart blocker, got in good positions to block people. He can catch very well. 26 receptions, 464 yards, five touchdowns last year as a fullback, which is impressive. Uh, he's tough. He can block in tight spaces as a lead blocker on, like, let's say, an ISO run, or he can block in space on whatever it, type of run it, it may be. So that was impressive. I saw that from him and a little bit of stuff I watched. Um, 
has good athleticism. He can block secondary players. He can block linebackers. But, um, you know, so I really, I really like him coming out of Oklahoma. I'm surprised he wasn't drafted. But I think he does um, win the job over, over Thomas. Yeah, I agree with you. I, the only reason I think he went undrafted is because teams just don't really value fullbacks at all anymore. He yeah. was a really good player, though, and he's got receiving skills, too. For yeah. a fullback, which is, by the way, that's one thing Lawrence Thomas does not have. The guy can't catch a cold, let alone a football. So I think Flowers is a more well-rounded player. Thomas is something, I think Daryl Slater told me, they list him at like 295, but he might even be north to 300. The guy's gigantic. I don't know if that's sustainable as a full-time fullback going forward. You may want to slim down, but I think Flowers is going to win the job anyway. And I think he could surprise some people and maybe be – I'm, look, I don't want to say he's going to be Richie Anderson, clearly, because Richie Anderson was a guy that was the Jets' leading receiver in the year 2000 as far as receptions. But yeah. I do think that Flowers could be a sneaky weapon where every now and again, uh, you know, a key third down or something, he slides open and, and is able to pick up some yards. So I think his ability to block and to catch the football as well is going to make him a guy that could very easily stick and beat out Thomas for the job. Yeah, especially with Dennison too, where like Thomas, maybe he's better in like a, a tight space, maybe like an in, inside zone, like a Mike zone or something like that, where he's blocking the Mike linebacker. But I know Dennison runs some more outside zone, uh, stretch zone type of type of deals, wide zones. So if you're asked to uh, get outside more, it's going to be tough for Thomas, like on a lead zone, lead outside zone, or a or a boss uh, zone, like type of things like that. Like uh, it's going to be tough for, for Thomas to get out on that. But uh, so I, like I said, I do think Flowers wins that. And the next one I'm looking forward to, uh, wide receiver Hanson, we said it before, 6'2", 202. Yeah. Only nine receptions for 94 yards, but in his time that he played, he, he played pretty well. I watched some Cal tape for the upcoming show. Uh, tracks the ball well, good hands. I think he shows some effort in the run game. Shows mm-hmm. some ability to get some yak. Body control in the air is nice. Uh, in terms of weaknesses, I think he plays a little bit high. I don't think he has too sharp of routes, but I still did like him overall what I saw from last season, season even though it was a pretty uh, small sample size. But apparently people are saying he's good in camp. So we'll see because I'm not like I'm not going to fully – rely on what the beat report or the beat writers beat reporters share because yeah they're the only ones there but i don't really know how much they know necessarily i'm not trying to be like well i'll i'll share a little something with you on this joe i i can't say who because i was told not to but there's a player on the roster and a pretty well-known one who backed up the assessments and said that the receivers on the roster are going to be looking over their shoulder for chad hansen this year based on what he saw them in camp so Take that for what it's worth. But I agree with what you were saying on Hanson. I think he's a guy that flashed a little bit when given the opportunity last year. Watching him at Cal, especially when he put on a a show against the Texas Longhorns, which I didn't particularly like, but whatever. Uh, He really opened my eyes to what he could do. He only had one really productive year at Cal, late bloomer. But he's got size. He's got pretty decent speed. He's got very good hands. Like you said, not the most polished route runner in the world, but he's a guy that just seems to be able to get open. And I love the way that he's able to, as you see in the clip that you're showing right now, he just goes up and gets that ball. He knows how to track the ball. He just comes down with it. And it's something that people will say, and you don't really understand what they mean until you watch the film like this. 
but he just has a nose for where the ball is and how to come down with it. And it sounds stupid saying it out loud because it's like, oh, whoa, no duh. But that's just a skill that a lot of receivers don't have. And so I think that he's a guy that could really make a dent if given the opportunity. And again, I think that you look at the Jet receiving core and there are some interesting questions. You have Terrell Pryor coming here. We already addressed what the issues are with him. So who knows? He, I'll be honest with you. People don't want to hear this, but I wouldn't be a thousand percent shocked. I'm not predicting it necessarily, but I wouldn't be a thousand percent shocked if Pryor doesn't make it out of tr- uh, training camp or past the preseason. It's not out yeah. of question. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I probably have low chance, but at the same time, if he's not producing a lot on the field, maybe he deals with some right. nagging injuries like he did in the last couple of years, and he's a locker room problem, why not get rid of him? Right, um, and Jermaine Curse is solid, but if Hanson plays well, there's no reason he can't pass him on the depth chart. And you don't expect him to go beyond the number three receiver. But again, Quincy's coming off a bad neck injury, and Robbie Anderson has had other issues, shall we say. So who knows? But I, I think if he's given the chance, he could be a under-the-radar, impactful player in this offense. Yeah, I wish I had this play full because it does look like he it's, – it's a cover two. He's eating up some of the space, which you want to do, um, versus any defender who's playing off or like soft shoe type coverage. Um, and he gives that hesitation stab inside, which gets Lattimore a little bit off balance. And he looks back to the quarterback when he really should just get his hands on Hanson here and play through him. But instead he turns back inside, which he loses him for a second, which is why Hanson gets that room on the sideline right there. So you want to see a lot of more play through this, but I'm not, this is not about the saints. Um, but <laughs> right. this is, this is, yeah, like I said, he won, he's high pointing the ball here, which is, which is good. Um, but the most impressive thing about this is when you're beat, uh, what a lot of corners are going to do is they're going to jump and stick their hand through yourself in the ball and try to rip it out, or they're gonna they're gonna grab an elbow, they're gonna grab a wrist, they're gonna gra- grab fingers, they're gonna do whatever they can to rip that ball out of your hand after you caught it. So the fact that he's not allowing him to shoot his hand through the through his arms in the ball and his face mask, and he and he contorts his body. This is like that body control in the air trait that you talk about. The fact that he catches it here and then spins his body because that's not that's right. not, that's not a mistake there. He's doing that to not let. Um, more uh, Lattimore, you know, f- play through that ball and play through his arms. He turns away yep. on purpose, and that's that's body control. That's that's a good, yeah. a good freaking play there. And, so and and field awareness too. You know, in pro wrestling, they call it uh, ring awareness, where you're doing a spot and you have to know exactly where you are so that you're in the pr- proper spot for a move to be done, and it and it looks crisp. Same thing there, although obviously on a different level. He knows exactly where he is on the field, so he knows how to control his body and how to make sure that he comes down in bounds with the completed catch. And like you said, Joe, those are things that are underrated in terms of importance. There, oh, yeah. there are a lot of receivers that don't know how to do it, but he, he has a knack for it. Oh, this, this show, we're going to show you plenty of things that people can't do that they should be able to do at NFL <laughs> level. Um, we'll really break it down for you. I'm really excited to get into some future shows. And, you know, I, I like want to – I'm not gonna say like there's. I don't even know five percent of the things that go on in the NFL. It's just a crazy game, but I think I I know a, a decent amount. So I'm really excited to like either discuss with people or like educate people. On, okay, the Jets won. Why did they win? What what coverages did they use? What concepts did they use that worked well? How did the quarterback really play? Instead of saying the quarterback played well, okay, why? What did he do? What did he read this deep? Like I really wanted to explain to people, and it's gonna be fun. Like I said, this is more of a baseline type 
uh, just going over the whole offseason type show, but we're going to get into nitty-gritty, like crazy. When Eric McMillan comes on and Schofield uh, come on to discuss positions, we talk about a lot. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah. But, yeah, versus, Hanson versus Pryor for that fourth spot. We talked about Pryor and his stats before. We'll see. I'm hoping that Hanson wins. But at the same time, if Pryor's 2016 Pryor, that's, sure. that's, a good, that's a good fourth receiver. So that's no, uh, no a good lose situation for the Jets. Today. Exactly. And then for that fifth and sixth spot, you have Andre Roberts, who's 30 years old, uh, you know, for only 3,000 yards in eight years, which isn't crazy impressive. 104 kick returns, which is the most important aspect. That's why they brought him in uh, for 23.4 yard average, which is okay. One touchdown, 115 punt retar- uh, returns for 8.1 yards per average, which isn't great. I think when you're looking at like 10 plus, that's when you see a good returner. Two touchdowns in his time at punt, retur- uh, punt returner versus Ardari Stewart. Uh, you know, six receptions, 82 yards last year, seven rushes for 27 yards. I, I compared him like a really poor man's Jarvis Landry last year when I watched his tape. Um, I'm not sure he's going to make the roster now, but you know he's a tough player. Can get some yards after catch. He has good hands, good body, uh, body control in the air as well. But just like Hanson, his routes are not that good. He runs east and west too much. Did a lot of Alabama where he could just cut up field. And there was times mm-hmm. where, and this and this hurts him for me. And in my opinion, like okay, maybe the Jets just didn't have a spot for him last year. But at times last year, they were using JoJo Natson on end yeah. and on jet sweeps mm-hmm. when they had Ardarius Stewart. So that's not right. good for him. And then he's also facing, you know, another guy, the last guy, I think is Charles Johnson, uh, who I'm not too high on. I don't think he's going to make the raw service. Yeah. 6'2", 216, three years with Vikings, 60 receptions. Yeah, camp body type guy. So what do you think about, you know, or Darius Stewart and, and, and those type of guys, Andre Roberts trying to make the roster? I think – Look, if Ardari Stewart isn't going to be the kick returner, I don't see much of a role for him here. I just – I don't think he's that great as a wide receiver, and clearly the Jets didn't have a whole lot of faith in him because they didn't use him much in that capacity. And like you said, even when it came to plays like jet sweeps, they were using Jojo Nets, and God help us, I hope I don't have to say that name ever again as far as future reference. But – if he's not going to be the kick returner, I don't see much for him. And Andre Roberts, same thing. Andre Roberts, to me, is either going to win the kick returner job or he's going to get released. I think the ideal situation as far as kick returner would be if you get Trenton Cannon to win it because obviously you would like your draft pick to be worthwhile, either that or for Stewart to step up. But I just feel like Ardari Stewart was a bad pick. He Mm -hmm. was an older prospect and he didn't seem to have much of a ceiling beyond what he was at Alabama. And now I think the Jets are going to have to decide whether or not they want to cut their losses and move on or they want to do something where they hang on to him just because they don't want to admit that they made a mistake on a draft pick last year, which is the silly way to do things. I had high hopes for Devin Smith when he was drafted out of Ohio State, but it just didn't work out. Sometimes yeah. that happens. The injuries, are, yeah. Yeah, the Patriots are known for this. Yeah, the injuries of Devin Smith, but the Patriots are known for this. They'll make a draft pick, and if they realize that for whatever reason it didn't work out, they cut bait because that's how you have to run the team. You cannot be sitting there and just holding mm-hmm. on the draft picks because you don't want to admit you were wrong. So I think that if the Jets, unless our, our Darius Stewart, prove something that we haven't seen already or or surprises us I think that there's a very good chance that he ends up not making it or maybe they try to put him on they try to sneak him on injured reserve or something I don't know some sort of shady move but I don't see him being also a Patriots type move yes exactly. um, also a Patriots type move. but 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens with him. Uh, it's you know we'll, we'll figure it out. It's not too much for our worries. The top four or five no. guys are really um, high. But for that sixth spot, like I said, I, I think it's Ardarius Stewart, and I think it's him versus Andre Roberts. But Andre Roberts has that leg up because he might be the returner unless Cannon. Yeah, unless unless Cannon or Ardarius Stewart do step up, or even Elijah McGuire, who played a little bit last year. So, um, but moving on, uh, Charles Johnson. I don't I don't think. It's, it's he's a camp body. A lot of people are happy about yeah. that signing. I didn't. Really, I don't really see much there. Tight end is another battle. Not not like Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather type battle, um, but it's more of like the lesser guys who's going to play. Jordan Leggett, fifth round guy, injured his knee last year, didn't play at all. Six five, two sixty, which is some interesting measurables. Decent mm-hmm. receiving tight end in college, but a, not a blocker at all, which I don't no. like. I like I like no. to have guys who can block and catch the ball. Clive Warford, six four, two sixty, going to his first or his four, uh, fourth year. First two years, you know, he had right around like thirty receptions, three hundred forty yards in both years with three touchdowns. But last year, after some like weird ATV incident, we got an accident. He only had nine receptions for eighty yards. I know the Raiders brought in Jared Cooks, so that might have had a lot to do with it. And then mm-hmm. versus Sterling. Uh, you know, 6'3", 260, uh, six receptions for 82 yards last year, but five of those receptions and 74 of those yards were in the last game. So that was pretty uh, good game for him. But I think they're competing for roster spots where I think Hernan is safe. And obviously I think uh, Tomlinson are safe. So there's like three guys mm-hmm. battling for, for maybe one or two spots there. Yeah, I think Tomlinson will stick just because he's a really, really good blocker. He's not a terrible receiver. He's just not really anything special. The The interesting thing is going to be to see what happens with the other guys. I know a lot of people got excited about Clive Walford because he's kind of got that Austin Safarian Jenkins thing where he was drafted a couple of years ago and expected <laughs> to be good and yeah. he really hasn't been yet. I don't know. I, I feel like there's a reason that he hasn't been good yet, and I don't really expect him to take that step up. And all due respect to Austin Safarian Jenkins, by the way, he was perfectly fine, but people really blew up how good he was last year. He wasn't that great. He was eh. And so him leaving is not a big deal. But, yeah, you know, you look at the real interesting battle here to me is between Herndon, who was a fourth-rounder this year, and Leggett, who was a fifth-rounder last year. Now, I have it on pretty good authority that – part of the reason that the Jets let Austin Safarian Jenkins go was because they like Leggett. However, remember, they did pick Herndon in the fourth round and they brought in all these other tight ends, so they're hedging. They may like Leggett, but they also know that, as you mentioned, Joe, he can't block worth a damn, and he's coming off an injury. So they don't want to bank on him being the guy. They want to give him the opportunity to earn the possibility of being the guy, right? Herndon, I think, is somebody who was overshadowed for most of the time that he was in Miami because of Njoku. But he's a solid player. Now, obviously, he got himself into some serious hot water with the DWI here in the offseason. And you never want to see that, especially from a rookie. It's And a mid-round rookie at that. But he's got good skills. He's got good hands. He's a better blocker than Leggett. Don't get me wrong. That's not exactly saying a whole lot. No, he's a, he's a, he was a decent blocking tight end in college. He can do both. So. Yeah. yeah, he can do a little bit of both. And from what you hear, he's got a good attitude on the field. Now off the field, that's another story. But I think that'll be an interesting camp battle to watch because I think Tomlinson, barring something crazy, is going to be here as the blocking tight end. The question is, who's going to get that spot? 
I don't really – a lot of people think Walford or Sterling, one of those guys. I don't see that. I think it's going to end up being between Leggett and Herndon, and one of those two guys is going to earn it. The question is, what can Leggett do coming off of the injury? Look, if he can show that he can be a really good receiving tight end, then he probably finds a way to stick. And I don't know what they do with Herndon, but if he can't, and Herndon just may well beat him out and be the, the feature tight end. But I will say this, Joe. Uh, once again, much as it's been the story for a long time here at the Jets, at <laughs> least since Dustin Keller was here, I expect very, very little contribution from the tight ends as far as uh, receptions, yards, touchdowns, that kind of thing. I think you're probably looking at best case scenario, something similar to what you got at ASJ last year, which despite what Jet fans want to say, wasn't really that much. Yeah, we'll talk about A.S.J. in a little bit. I have, I have a player, too, queued up for him. But, yeah, Sterling was – he was he was decent. We'll, we'll see. Like I said, it's, it's Leggett, it's Sterling, maybe Warford, and I don't really think Bucky Hodges have too much of a chance. But this is – and you see him right here. He's the, he's the wide tight end on the field side. This is a pretty good route, um, at least in my opinion. He's, he's selling the, the vert right here a lot, which, like, there's, like, two ways to really – uh, with that drive phase, you're either going to attack leverage, which is a zone, so it's kind of hard to do, or, or you're going to drive, you're going to sell that vertical, uh, which he does um, pretty well. And then you see the stop. That's the stop step right there where you're really throwing that leg out there to slow down your momentum. Uh, gather step right there. Stop, gather. Uh, this is a catch step right there where you're going to flip your hips inside and you're going to turn your toe inside to where you want to go. That's a catch step. And then the next step is the drive step. So pretty good route drops his hips nice and low right there not the prettiest route but it's it's still pretty good actually for for a tight end who's pretty big so I like that that's actually a nice throw by Petty too but um which you didn't see a lot of but pretty good route runner decent tight end so I think he actually has a shot at I can see him beating out you know um both both Leggett and Warford you never know uh so we'll see it's not like there's crazy competition for that third tight end spot but uh next one we'll go to um I think it's for that that you know five tech four tech three tech that third defensive lineman type of deal in the three four defense. Uh, Henry Anderson, he, I, I like the signing. People were like, I know like Pro Football Focus is really high on him. I'm not as well, high. Well, it was a trade Henry Anderson, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, what was it? Seventh round pick or sixth round pick in the draft? Seventh. Seventh rounder, yeah. Yeah, seventh rounder. Um, so they yeah they acquired him on draft day, six six, three hundred and one pounds, twenty five years old. He hurt his throat last year in a weird injury. This is going to be his fourth year in the NFL. Uh, three years, you know, he played twenty or twenty-nine games, so he does have some injury problems. Twenty-five tackles, three sacks. Um, in those in those three years, uh, the strengths I did are actually did I do a review on him? I either did a review on him or I recorded a review for him. But he played three tech, five tech, two eye tech, one tech, four eye tech. I don't think he's an interior guy. I think he's pretty much just a five tech guy in terms of his strengths. Uh, uses length well disengaged. I think he plays with good pad level for his height. He's a smart player. He plays hard. But in terms of weaknesses, not explosive, slow feet. He's pretty tight, lacks pass rush moves, balance is bad. Uh, he's more of like a counter puncher than he is a guy who's going to bring the punch to the offensive lineman, whether it be a rip or a swim. He kind of waits for the offensive lineman to get their hands on him. Then he reacts from there, which I don't like. Ends up on the ground a lot. Frequently see him blocked by tight ends too much arch on his rush where he kind of bent, he, he bends his path too far outside where he gets into other gaps he's not supposed to and hits other offensive linemen or defensive linemen are rushing with him. So 
I, I think he's okay. I, I, I saw pro football, uh, pro football focus was relatively high on him. I'm not super high on him. I think he's an average type player. I don't know um, what you think, but uh, what, what do you think about Yeah, what do you think about him? On Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's young enough and has enough upside that it was worth a seventh-round pick. Yeah, yeah. But I don't – see, this is how I kind of go into these things. Uh, he had injuries, and there's a reason that the Colts were willing to get rid of him for a seventh-round pick. So I go into this thinking, look, he's got some upside. If he pans out and gives him any kind of contribution, then it's a victory. If he doesn't, then they gave it a shot and, you know, whatever. That's really what seventh-round picks are for because if the Jets had kept that pick, what do they do with it? Maybe they pick a guy like Henry Anderson who has some upside as a defensive lineman or something like that. So, like you said, he has some strengths and weaknesses uh, that you can easily break down from watching this clips like this right here. And I, and I don't know if you put out your Henry Anderson review yet, but if you haven't, I'm looking forward to watching it because I've only watched little bits and pieces of him from when he was with the Colts. But from what I did see, I thought that he seemed to be solid when healthy. I don't expect him to be a major uh, force in terms of getting to the quarterback or anything like that, which some people have actually said that he could be their best pass rusher, which I don't know. No, that's no, yeah, no, no, he's not. I've heard people say it. I don't know why they're saying it. but I uh, do People say a lot of dumb things, Scott. Yeah, well, this this is very true. But I, I will say that I think that if he stays healthy, he has a chance to at least be a contributor on the D-line, if only on a rotational basis. And for a seventh-round pick, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like on this play, and, and I did I did record a review for him. I just got to put it up, but we'll see. I'm just busy with the show and stuff now, preparing for guys like Schofield and, and guys like uh, Eric McMillan. I got some work to do. Uh, make sure I have – you know, enough film, but yeah, good, good pad level. He's six, six. So the fact that he gets under this uh, right tackles pads is nice. Sure. He, he, you see him extend his arms, which is nice. You see him drive with his legs, which is nice. He, he has that one arm, um, you know, under the, the right tackles armpit, which is good. He's using that length to extend him away. And then he's peeking into the backfield. And as, as the, uh, the uh, running back is coming through the C gap. Yeah. Yeah. The C gap, you can see him disengage by pulling him, uh, the, the right tackle down, which is good. You know, obviously the, the right tackle's off balance here because he's under his pads and because he's off balance, he's able, he's able to rip him down, which is good. And he gets in on the tackle. So that's like, a, that's a good play of Anderson. I'll also show a play of his uh, effort, which is, which is good. The Jets, uh, I think a common trend on their, or theme on their defense is they have a lot of players who are going to play hard and that's, that's good. Right. Um, and on this, this play, he is the five tech and, and that's part of the culture change by the way, too. It, yeah, exactly. And this is like a play where it's kind of good and bad because you see he's, he's held weight. The, 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 uh, the tight end is trying to, trying to seal him inside here. And he's definitely blocked by the tight end for way too long. You don't want to see him fighting with the tight end for this long, but I, I like, I like the fact that you're seeing him try to fight to the ball and he's, he really works his way to get in on a tackle and lays a pretty hard hit here. So it shows his his fight here, but at the same time, this is where I say like he he's just kind of lanky. He doesn't really have too strong of legs. He has some skinny legs. You kind of see it right there. They're kind of just skinny, 
um, at least in my opinion, and he's not doesn't have a lot of weight to him. So even as a is a, even as a five tech in a in a three four, I'm not sure if he necessarily works. I actually kind of think looking at his game, and four, three. I, I I could be wrong, but it's weird, and I think there's a narrative that came out about him why he was traded that he's better fit in a three four than a four three. I think by watching, yeah. him, he's a better three four end than I think uh, he's in a three four. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's actually better on a, as a four three two. But I, again, I, look, that might be more of a problem for me if he was some big deal signing or big deal draft pick. But the fact that he's a seventh rounder, even if he's more ideally suited to a four three, I'm okay with it because I'm sure that Bowles and Rogers can find some way to use him effectively, at least you know, X amount of plays per game. But yeah, I agree. That was what I saw too. And I thought it was kind of weird that everybody was saying that he seems to be a three, four fit. Cause I thought he looked more like he would be a fit in a four, three. Yeah. Like here, like this is going to happen a lot of three, four, you're going to be asked to, to defend uh, multiple gaps where, you know, if, if you're, if you're the five tech, you might be asked to, to guard the, the B and the C gap. And you're going to see a lot of combo blocks and things like that. And just what I'm talking about is base and his skinny legs. He winds up on the ground a lot. And here, like, he, does, he doesn't have a strong anchor. He's not really driving his legs. His base is way too wide. So you're not, you're, you're not generating full power. You don't have – like, there's a, there's a difference between a good base and a wide base. A base that's too wide is not a good base. And here, it's the, the, the tight end knocks him on his ass. I know he's, he's engaged in a block already. But as a 3-4 end, you need to anchor down there. Um, and he's not able to on the counter run, and he gets on his ass. And we, I saw that a ton on film. So I think it's a good trade for a seventh, a guy who's a rotational piece with the other guys mm-hmm. the Jets have. But uh, I'm, I'm not in love with him. Uh, I think people are a little bit too high on him. But sure. it is what it is. And in terms of the uh, – I already I talk about the weaknesses with him. But um, next guy who's going to be competing for that spot for playing time, Foley, uh, Foley Fudakoski. Is that how you say it? Foley – Fadukasi? Fadukasi. Fadukasi, I think it is, yeah. Fadukasi. All right. Uh, 6'4", 318 from Connecticut. Another small school type guy. The Jets, that was a a theme with them this draft as well. Small school type guys. Sixth round pick. Um, I watched, I forget what game I watched. I only watched one, I'll be honest, because I don't have that much time. I'm going to break down more of him, like I said, for that show. But Mm -hmm. I think he plays with good good pad levels, really nice and low, good burst, kind of like Spencer Long off the line, even though he's, you know, different positions. I think he could play all over the line. He could play five. He could play three. He could play four I. He could play two, one. He could play all over. I like that uh, flexibility. Don't think he's much of a pass rusher, more of a run-stopping type guy. Uh, strong hands, but in terms of the weaknesses, I think he's a little tight, not very quick. He takes some time or too much time to shed, especially versus smaller schools that he played. I think he's pretty raw with his technique. Uh, and then the next guy is Shepard. Like I said, I will have film on these guys, and when I do that show, it's going to be up in a couple of weeks. Six five, mm-hmm. maybe you can find a Jets defensive end to do a show with me. Um, we'll see. I, I'll have to work on that. I might be able you're, to pull that off. You're my you're my agent, so like a defensive end, D tackle. Chris Jenkins sounds nice. Um, <laughs> not Sean Ellis, because I never forgive him for saying he never felt at home with the Jets when he went to the Patriots. So screw <laughs> Sean Ellis. But I mean, the next guy, we'll, uh, we'll bring back the uh, we'll bring back the goat, uh, Mister uh, uh, Joe Klecko. See if I can get him on. No, I want so Calvin Pace. I want Calvin, Calvin Pace. Pace. Yeah, um, six. So Shepard. Uh, I think he's in a nursing home right now. Oh God. Pace. Yeah. No, he's he's setting the edge somewhere. I think who said that from the Jets <laughs> the other day? It's funny. Uh, but six five, three hundred four. Hayes State, another small school guy, uh, twenty five years old, which isn't great. Uh, a little bit old for a first-round draft pick, or sorry, a, a first-year player. 
he's my age, which I'm saying 25 years old is old. It's kind of getting sad for me. Uh, but he's he's good athlete for his side. Quick, quick hips. He's pretty quick. Weaknesses, raw te- uh, technique. He struggles with double teams. He gets sucked into blocks. Uh, he didn't dominate as much as I'd like to see versus small school competition. I think I watched two games of him or just like highlight, not a highlight film, but a cut up of him. Um, but overall, I'm pretty happy with him as a third round pick. And then versus the next guy, uh, Xavier Cooper, who played pretty well uh, when he was playing for the Jets last year at the end of the season. 6'4", 326 yeah. years old. Uh, he's, I think he's quick. He's good lateral movement, good hands. He fires off the snap. Uh, weaknesses, small frame, power, plays pretty high. And only can really play on on the the outside as a five. I don't think he's a guy like Shepard or like Fadokasi who could play all over the line. So um, I think those four guys are battling for are those what those yeah no five no four guys yeah four guys are battling for um, playing time and even for roster spots at yeah. this point. Even though I think Shepard and Fado, uh, what Fadokasi are, are safe as of now, but. <laughs> Fadakasi. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, Foley Fadakasi somebody I haven't watched much of. I've only watched a tiny bit. We'll see what we get out of him. I, I think that when you pick a guy in the mid to late rounds and he's big and athletic, you just kind of at that point, especially when he's not a known commodity, you just kind of hope that the coaching staff knew what they were doing when they drafted him in the, the front office. Nathan Shepard's an interesting one. He's got an incredible story. In fact, he told a funny story when he was on, uh, I don't even, I won't say funny, but it was funny in an interesting way when he was on Good Morning Football with Nate Burleson, where he was talking about when he was out of football Mm -hmm. and thinking about getting back in. I, I don't know if you saw that, that clip, but he basically said that Burleson told him, do it. You'll never forgive yourself if you don't. And gave him a hundred dollar bill out of his pocket and said, you can pay me back when you make it to the NFL. And then on the show, he yeah. took a $100 bill out of his pocket and gave it back to Burleson, which I thought was cool. He seems like a really good kid. And I've watched a decent amount of his film. You probably watched more than I have, Joe. But he seems like a really, really good athlete for a guy his size, potentially yeah. really explosive. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that has the potential to be – look, I'm not going to say he's as good as Snacks, and I'm not going to say that he's – that type of player either because snacks was just your prototypical really good run stuffer but i think he could be sort of if everything goes well you're hoping he becomes that snacks type of bargain meaning snacks was an undrafted free agent and he turned out to be a really really good defensive lineman i know what you're thinking right now a bargain on snacks like doritos no or I, like that. you know how like stingy i am with like player comparisons so i, I thought that's what uh, that's what i was laughing at a little bit um oh yeah no no, no. i didn't mean that he compares to him no yeah no as, i know i know what yeah, you're saying yeah. I know what you're saying. Because I'm going to be like, oh, you know, I think more of like a Geno Atkins, but. You're right, yeah, you're right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's, um, he's, he has, he's good. He's explosive. He has quick hips. He, but he's raw too. They're both raw. They're from small schools. And my one thing, the, the biggest concern with him for me personally is when I watch small schools, division two, II, division three type players, I like to see them pop out on film almost every single play because they're playing against bad competition. Um, but he didn't do that as much as I wanted to, so I'm a little bit concerned. But the fact that he showed up um, – was it the Senior Bowl? Senior Bowl, he's really impressing people. But then he, he unfortunately got hurt, so he couldn't play in the Senior Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. But he was really impressive. He impressed some people I trust there. So that, that was a positive after not seeing him dominate small school as much as I wanted to. Um, that's another interesting camp battle to watch. And with these, 
we're going to, uh, in a future show before the Jets do their 53-man roster, our, our final roster, I forget when that is exactly, Scott, I mean, like August 29th, wherever it is, mm-hmm. uh, a, couple, a couple of weeks or a week before the season. But uh, they have some competition. Xavier Cooper is a player I don't think it's necessarily be getting, uh, easy to get rid of. And here he's, he's a three-tech. And this is actually a really good play by Buster Screen. I actually really like this play from Buster Screen. But the fact that he's controlling multiple gaps here, has his hands on two offensive linemen, not even one, and then this is where I say, like, he's kind of quick. He is a little bit light in the pants type deal where he's not going to explode through guards and tackles and, and centers. But he does have some lateral quickness that I like. And here you just see him scraping down the line of scrimmage waiting for this uh, – for Alvin Kamara to pick his gap. And he's able to free up because of screen. But still, he has some lateral quickness that I like. And this is just I, – I love this play from screen. Like I said, the wide receiver trying to crack block him, I think that is – um, why, why am I going to forget his name? Willie Sneed tries to cr- crack block mm. him. But instead of just getting crack block and, and letting him get cra- himself get crack block, he works into the offensive line and he just disrupts the entire flow of the play there. He's he's going in and he, and he ducks his head. He's knowing, he knows he's about to take on a, a, the left guard here, and he does it for uh, Cooper to free up. So that's why I talk about screen. I, I don't love screen, but in terms of tackling, physicality, the, the mentality he brings to the team, that's I do like him for a – 185 pound quarter to to do this it's 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 a nice play so but yes scream is has always been a pretty good tackler and actually an above average blitzer for a corner however he times a snap well yeah yeah however the problem of course is that that's not his primary function as a defensive back so no that's it's nice that he can do those things but the fact that he can't cover anybody is a big problem he's so he has athleticism but he's so hoppy at the line of scrimmage he just can't press people but moving on um like i said this might be uh, scott this is gonna be a uh, we might have to break this up or something or we're gonna do a super long show and break it up i don't know what's gonna happen here but there's so much to talk about still uh middle linebacker uh talk about that I, I think the battle of middle linebacker is looking at lee and seeing if he can hold off mentor and hold off kevin pierre lewis for for reps uh lee going into his third year uh he's shown some stuff his speed range bounce off partial blocks energy effort i think are good but his size his strength his bad angles his instincts his he approaches a lot of scrimmage too too soon too often not patient he's easy to fake out with play action or misdirection doesn't play with a good base. Understanding of leverage and coverage isn't good. Awareness, he's bad in coverage. Uh, balance, mm-hmm. which I, I hear a lot of people say, that he lump him into. Oh, he is. He is. He's a good athlete. Good athlete. How? Because he has range and speed. But in terms of balance, he's on the floor a lot and slips a lot. And I also think he he shies away from con, uh, contact a lot. So I'll bring up a couple of plays here. Of Leachum is playing in the background. The first one I'm going to play while you're talking is of Lee's uh, speed that you see. That that's good but it's just few and far between where he really is making a, a, a really good play. So I'm kind of curious to see if he's able to hold them all for, for snaps because I do, I do like Minter and I do like Kevin Pierre Lewis. Um, not, not a ton, but a, a decent amount. So. Yeah, I think Pierre Lewis could be a decent contributor. Uh, I, and I think part of it too, is he plays special teams. I, Lee, man, Lee is so frustrating. Because you can see the talent from time to time. He'll flash. He's got really good athleticism. But everything else about him is just so – I don't know, man. You look at it and you wonder why the Jets picked him in the first round. I mean, <laughs> this is a guy that should not have been picked in the first round. I just don't understand it. He's so subpar to, at best, average at so many things. 
I guess they picked him hoping that they could coach him up or something. And look, if he magically takes a step this year, awesome. But at this rate, he's not going to see a second contract with the Jets. There's just too many things he can't really do. And like you said, his technique is very, it's very, what's the best way to put this? Not good or bad, as you would say. Below uh, average. Below average, yes. <laughs> he, I, was trying, I was trying to be a little more. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and the fact that he gets faked out a lot and he can't really cover all that well, which is a big part of the reason why they drafted him. Don't you remember they sold him the same way they sold Demario Davis when they drafted him in the third round? He's going to be that guy that finally shuts down tight ends. Well, no, he isn't going to be that guy. And I just – he frustrates me. And I wouldn't be 100% shocked to see Minter – take a lot of his playing time at some point if only because the Jets are not gonna or they shouldn't be willing to put up with all the mistakes that he makes out there especially not going into his third season in the league yeah and like even this I'll put up up like here like this is just like leverage and McCaffrey is running I believe it's an option route of the backfield it's hard to tell if it's an option route necessarily Um, but look where Lee is planting if if you're guarding an, an outside breaking route He's, he's two yards inside, and, and he's playing pretty flat-footed there. Um, you're going to want to get over top of this and play with some hot feet where you're, you're going to like, like kind of just like run your feet a little bit in, in place to be able to, 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 uh, to kind of cut quickly. But he play, he's playing like two yards inside. He gives McCaffrey, if it is just like an hour route here or if it is an option route, he gives him an easy decision. And he gets beat relatively easily uh, for, for a first down here. So his like this mm-hmm. is understanding of leverage. Get get he has to get over top here, um, and at least challenge McCaffrey a little bit. But unfortunately, it doesn't do that because his understanding of leverage, coverage, zones, just everything is just it's it's not it's not it's just, it's just not good. But um, I guess yeah, let's, let's, it really isn't. <laughs> there's a play I forget what uh, play it is. I'm trying I'm gonna try to find it, but there's a play where he's playing a fullback in coverage in in man coverage, and he. Literally, like he he he's botting up the fullback, and he's looking into the backfield and he loses the full. He loses a fullback in coverage, in man coverage. So it's not even just zone coverage; it's man coverage um, as well. But he's trying to hold off Kevin Minter, who's like the backup bike linebacker. I think six four, two forty six, twenty seven years old. He was with Bulls in two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. This is his sixth year. Two thousand fifteen, when Bulls left, he had ninety four tackles, three and a half sacks. He was like a hot free agent, middle linebacker behind um, Dante Hightower, I believe, Zach Brown that year. Uh, but in 16, he signed with the Bengals, I think. Six, uh, he had 81 tackles mm-hmm. and half a sack. Uh, or no, that was in 2016. But last year, sorry, with the Bengals, he only had 32 tackles. Uh, strengths, I watched a little bit of him too. I think he's like a physical type player. Works through traffic, physical, banger type guy. Uh, hand play, uh, hand usage is pretty good, but weaknesses, tight hips, not a great athlete. Uh so he's fighting him off, but it's going to be not necessarily easy. Kevin Pierre Lewis, 26 years old, six foot two thirty. He's a will linebacker, so he's a guy who would take some snaps and coverage from uh, from Lee or maybe even Williamson. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, he's a he's a he's a small role type of guy, 15 tackles per year type of guy. Uh, comes in a little bit on on nickel and dime looks with the Chiefs last year. He had 41 tackles. Uh, you know, quick athletic guy he, he ran a low four fives 39 inch vertical which is crazy 28 bench reps which is crazy for a guy of his size 
plays hard, but he's kind of like Lee in, in a sense, like his awareness diagnosing of plays isn't great. Um, and his size versus offensive linemen and tight ends, he struggles with it. But uh, what do you think of those guys quickly so we can try to move on here? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well with those guys. I think the linebacking core, I like Williamson. Beyond that, whatever. I mean, it's just it's seriously. I mean, I could sit here and, and break a bunch of stuff down, but it's just – it's. Williamson and a bunch of kind of whatever, right? Yeah, Isn't it? yeah. If if it was if it was Minter coming off his 2015-16 year, I, I would be more impressed. But uh, if he can regain that, honestly, I think Minter might be able to fight off Lee for for a decent amount of snaps or even that that starting job. I just don't think Lee has it. But yeah. he's not been playing position for a while. But um, let's let's move on. Outside linebacker, I think there's another one which is not a huge one. Again, so we'll move through it quickly. But I think it's Malden versus Donahue for that for that fourth spot. Uh, Malden, third-round pick, 2015. You know, in his two years, he only had 33 tackles and six-and-a-half sacks. I think his first year, he had like four-and-a-half, which is pretty impressive, one interception. 25 years old, back injury kept him out last year. Uh, plays a good effort. You know, he's decent against the run, uh, decent burst, but he plays high. Pass rush moves doesn't have a lot of them, doesn't have a lot of strength. Versus Donahue, who admittedly I did not like at all last year coming out. Um, small school, didn't produce a lot. Really short arms, which I hate for rushers outside. Uh, not much power. He, he gets locked in into blocks, short arms, DUI, which you worry about. But he plays, you know, quick motor, which is good. Uh, plays low, plays a burst. So that's that's like the battle. I'm not sure who's going to win that. I want to see more when I go into camp and, and watch the preseason. But I think there's a battle there for that fourth spot. So not much to talk about, but that is what it is. Yeah, that's about right. I think Jenkins – and then you got Bass and you got um, uh, Martin. And then beyond that, yeah, you got those two guys, both kind of disappointing. And obviously, <laughs> the best way I could put this is Donahue didn't help himself at all with what he did this offseason with the DWI and, and the Lincoln Tunnel. So we'll see. From what I hear, Lorenzo Malden not very well thought of by the coaching staff. They just don't see much in him. I don't know how much they see in Donahue, although Kevin Green seemed to like him last year at some point. So, yeah, you're right. It's interesting. But I don't – whoever wins that – and I like Donahue a lot because I just thought he had a great motor and there was op, there were opportunities. But he didn't really do anything last year. We'll see. But I think that's – yeah, that's a battle to watch, even though I don't think it's going to be super consequential because I don't think – Malden or Donahue will do a whole lot in 2018. No, and then this is a play. Um, well, I actually actually bring up the uh, the battle here. I forgot to, but and then the next one is is safety. I think there's a battle between Miles, who is injured now. He's good on special teams. You know, he's a hard hitter, energetic, but he's not a coverage safety at all. Uh, versus Middleton, who I liked coming out of Appalachian State. This is his third year. First year's on the practice squad. He played in a few games. Second year, he's injured. Uh, Division two, uh, he's a he's like a banger type of safety, not very good in, in coverage, but he can track the ball, not very fluid in type, that type of stuff. I guess I will get into it. Um, J.J. Wilcox is a guy who I actually like. I think he's going to be the primary backup safety, 27 years old, going into his sixth year. Um, he's, he's a guy who's like banger too, but he, he's also fluid. He has good speed. He can play in coverage. He's good in tackling. Uh, so he's an all-around type of safety, so I like him. And then Terrence Brooks is a guy who I think is probably going to be the fourth, if I had to guess now. Um, he was okay. I think the, the Jets traded for him last year for Dexter McDougal, I believe. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. 
good athlete, you know, four four two, which is a good speed, 38-inch vert. Uh, so he can move. He has good hips, change of direction, decent awareness, tough, but his, his, he's not a great tackler. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see. And then there's a guy they got, you know, uh, Brandon Bryant, who I think has a low chance, you know, undrafted free agent at the supplemental draft a couple of days ago at Mississippi State. Another guy who's pretty fast, uh, good range, solid athlete, you know, but uh, questions with his dedication, discipline, work ethic type of deal. So um, what do you think of that battle right there? Yeah, I think with Rontez Miles hurt, it opens up some possibilities for uh, – now, they, they have obviously Adams and May is still banged up, but you expect that he'll be the starter barring something crazy like a setback with the injury. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Brooks. Maybe he can battle for that number three spot. Uh, you have J.J. Wilcox, who they snagged at the last second, who is expected to go elsewhere. I think it was the 49ers that he was going to sign with, and then he hopped on a plane and went to the Jets. And Bryant, who knows? I mean, listen, he's a really good athlete, and he clearly has a chip on his shoulder. If you read his tweets, he's very much looking forward to Yeah, but any, anybody, anybody can tweet, you know? That's like my of thing. Of course, of course. I'm just saying when you're an athlete like him and you are willing to put in the work, you have a chance at a roster spot at least, especially with Rontez Miles hurt and no guarantees beyond Adams and May really. So we'll see. I mean, look, it was a, a no-lose for the Jets if he comes in and does nothing, which is generally yeah. the likely scenario. Who cares? He, wins a roster spot great but yeah I don't love the safety depth but I do like that they brought in JJ Wilcox once Rontez Miles went down that eases my thoughts uh, a little bit yeah Rontez Miles he's a special teams guy and he can play well in the run game like here like cover four look um this this outside receiver any vertical stem is going to get matched by Claiborne and you kind of if anything you want you want uh, Miles here to do kind of what Adams is doing here. I believe that's yeah, it's Adams. There's like shuffle thing where he's keeping his eyes on the receiver, but also keeping his eyes in his zone. When as soon as Miles turns his head like this, he's beat. He's beat right there. So he has to he has to backpedal or, or do that shuffle backwards to keep his eyes on this on um on Kelsey because like I said, uh, cover four the outside receiver is going to get matched by the uh, boundary the boundary corner. So he gets beat badly here. Now maybe Claiborne could have jumped that a little bit better. Um, but still, he's just—he's not—he's not good in coverage. The Buffalo Bills no, beat bad too, but uh, no, not at all. But I always looked at him more as a depth <laughs> safety. He's not a guy you want starting, but if you're going to bring no. him in there in certain situations, he was a, a reliable guy, and as you mentioned, a very good special teams player. So he's a valuable guy to have as a a depth guy. But like I said, having Wilcox here eases your mind a little bit about that. The safety position is not super strong, but it doesn't really have to be, I guess. And we're going to get to the corners, and I would say the same thing there. You've got two established yep. corners, and then beyond that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, for corners, that's the last one we'll do until we get into, like, the last uh, couple guys who we didn't really mention, um, which this this – I don't know how long – this might be, like, two and a half hours, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, it's just – there's so much to talk about. Like I said, they're trying to bunch it up into one show. But um, corners, you you have it's obviously you have Tremaine Johnson, you have Morris Claiborne, your Buster screen, and you have Perry Nickerson. But then you have a couple of guys battling for that fifth and sixth spot, which I think is gonna be an interesting battle because the guys are pretty evenly matched in my opinion. 
You have Burris, who has good size. He has decent speed. He's, I think he had, he had uh, 19 reps, which is the best for cornerbacks in the, when he was drafted. 36-inch vertical, so he's a pretty good athlete with pretty good strength. Um, I watched the tape on him yesterday, actually. I, 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 the whole tape, I was, as many plays as I can get for the show I'm about to do with McMillan. Uh, I saw a good athlete for his size. I, he works to keep his hip squares at the line of scrimmage, which is nice. He uses his length. He's physical. He can hit when he's when he's actually in a good position to hit. Um, he doesn't get the best angles, but his leverage isn't good. Defenses, he takes bad angles, like I said. Um, so what do you think, I guess, just, just quickly about uh, Justin Burris? I don't really think much of him, to be honest with you. He was a guy yeah. that was sold as a potential starter a couple of years ago, and he just – he seems to come from the Kyle Wilson school of coverage, which is he gets lost a lot. And then, you know, the thing that used to drive you crazy about Kyle Wilson was that he just never seemed to know where the ball was. And I I see a lot of that with Burris when he's in coverage Uh, and I'm not a big fan of his. And Roberts is another one, Joe, I know you've talked a lot about Daryl Roberts in the past. I just, he's not good. I mean, he's an okay, like fourth or fifth corner, I guess, but, you have to rely on him at all he's not good and so the rest of these guys look we'll see screen I think is a terrible cover guy I'm hoping that Perry Nickerson can be the surprise that I hope he is and maybe take that slot job away but the corner depth I don't know I beyond yeah it's it's, two starters it's a concern but I think it's still a good battle because like I said it's an evenly match but yeah, I, w- I would rather have a different fourth, fifth, and sixth guy. Um, and this is what you said, like getting spun in, not only spun in coverage, but just a bad understanding of, of def- uh, defense. It's uh, it's a cover three uh, defense for the Jets here. And when you're when you're like ba- when you're bailing out in any coverage, what you want to do is you're going to keep your, yourself between the sideline and the receiver, so you can see the receiver and the and the quarterback at the same time. You can break on any on any routes he runs, but. He's playing way too far inside right here, so he, he loses the the um, the receiver here. So how are you ever expecting to make a play on this ball when the receiver's going to get behind you? You have to play with more space to the sideline when you're bailing out, uh, you know, slash shuffling here. So it's just a bad understanding of defense. I don't know how you're even doing that, but um, he has to play closer to the sideline here. So like I, like you said, it's just it's just not a, a pretty sight with him in coverage at some time. So I, I think he doesn't have a yeah. great shot of making it. Um, next guy who's pretty – I think Rashad Robinson's a pretty interesting player when I watched him. 4-4-3 um, four, four, uh, four, four, speed, 6-1-170, one, one so he's, he's pretty – he's light, but good hips, which I'll bring up. Um, uh, he's good change of direction. I think he changes up his technique a lot of the line of scrimmage where he'll press you or he'll play in soft shoe or he'll play off or he'll play in catch man, which I like the fact that you're changing your technique at the um to play a receiver so he's not getting comfortable with anything good acceleration but weaknesses some off the field issues some dedication problems his size versus bigger wide receivers he plays pretty high uh getting off blocks in the run game is a problem and also his technique but let me bring up a a play here while you're uh talking about i guess your overall thoughts on rashad robinson and the you know jets he he was a starter for the first couple of games that i watched at least uh for the 49ers i think i watched week three four five six and towards the, uh, the game six, I don't know if he had an injury, but he started getting subbed out a lot more than he was the, the, the previous couple of games. But uh, he was a starting corner uh, for the 49ers. So as a fifth or sixth guy, it might not be too bad. He has some interesting traits, but uh, like I said, some off-the-field problem, technique-type problems. So, 
Yeah, he's a guy that I think they took a shot at, kind of the same way they did with Henry Anderson. They felt like, you said, he has some athletic traits and he had been productive coming out of college. And even, as you mentioned, a starter for a couple of games with the 49ers. The big key there is that there's some off-the-field stuff, obviously, and he's erratic. And I think that's why the 49ers chose to, to play him less. There might have been an injury there, too, but he's, his, his play was erratic. So when you get a guy like Rashard Robinson, what you're hoping is that with a change of scenery and with a different coaching staff, that you can turn him into the player that you hoped he would become when he was coming out of college. Now, I know Jeff Lloyd, who is a former host of draft season, yeah. has a lot of breakdowns of draft prospects and also does Locked on Browns. He was very high on Robinson, and he loved the move when the Jets made it. I think, again, people have unrealistic expectations with trades like this. Henry Anderson, like I said, for a seventh-round pick, if he contributes at all, then you consider it a win. The same thing with a guy like Rashard Robinson. I know it was a fifth-round pick. But if he can become even a decent rotational corner for the Jets, then you consider it a win. Because, I mean, really, realistically, you can get a star like a Richard Sherman in the fifth round, but it's few and far between. Usually those picks – are successful picks when they're used on players that contribute in some form of fashion. And I think that Robinson has the ability to do it. Now the question yeah. is, can he put all of these things together and fix some of the bad technique issues that he has? And more importantly, can he stop himself from getting in trouble off of the field? If he can do all of those things, I don't see why he can't be, like you said, a fourth, fifth, or sixth corner in the league. It's just a matter of cleaning everything up now. It's easier yeah. said than done, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and that'll be what we'll have to wait and see. But Joe, you know, he's got the traits to be able to hang around in the league. The question is, can he put it all together? And when we talked about Darren Lee before, it's kind of a yeah. similar thing where <clears throat> you know he's got the athleticism and certain traits, but is the football awareness are the instincts there. And that's what we're going to have to find out if he's going to stick on this team. Yeah. And here he's on the bottom of the screen. Uh, he does, like I said, so some technique issues. Like sometimes you'll see corners to not drop back on their heels or take like too much of a false step. They'll kind of, they'll take their outside foot, their inside foot and step like kind of a false step inside. But as long as you keep your hips square, it's okay. But here we see him spread out a little bit. It's not a crazy spread. I'll, I'll show some better examples in the cornerback show I do of him because I, I watched some more films since I recorded this. Um, <clears throat> but he spreads out a little bit here, which is it, it's one you're putting yourself on your heels so you don't have as much balance. He's playing a little bit high to line of scrimmage where he has decent bend in his upper body, but he's pretty straight with his legs here, which you, you don't want to see. You want to have a good base to be able to take on receivers. Also, when you're playing soft shoe and you're not getting your hands on immediately – what you do first, it's it's your eyes, your feet, and then the punch. He does the eyes where he's not overreacting to that little, like, jab step outside. It's not really a good route at all. Um, <clears throat> but he's not bringing his hips with his punch here. And you see him leaning into the punch here, which is not good because you're off balance, which doesn't allow his hips to get tight to, I believe it's John Brown, so he's leaning into him. And, that, and this size, too, at the top of the route where John Brown is leaning into him a little bit here. To make him to give himself room on this uh, dig route, and that's where he creates that separation. But at the same time, with that poor technique, like I'll show it in fast motion, you can see some of the fluidity he has in, in his play, where he's basically running the route for him. He's a little bit off though because of technique issues. So 
Um, <clears throat> that's just some, that's, that's like a good and a bad play for him, but I just wanted to bring up that right. example. Uh, and corner, I love corners is my favorite thing. So I'm really excited to do it with McMillan. And then another one too, this is, this is technique here. Um, I forget what I labeled. This is not allowing squeeze or hands on, uh, it's kind of the same thing again. We're seeing a little bit of that spread at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's on the bottom of the screen. That spread you don't want because your your weight is already on the back of your heels. So you're not on uh, on you know on balance. He's opening his hips up too early. You want to see if you're going to play press. You're going to want to see the cornerback shuffle with the wide receiver to, to challenge their route stem, which he does not do here. When you open up your hips automatically, you're not challenging that route stem. You're letting the receiver get into his route. Um, and because he doesn't shuffle at the line of scrimmage, he doesn't get his hand uh, you know his hands on him. He's not able to squeeze into the sideline and get tight to him, which then doesn't allow him to get his hands on the wide receiver, uh, which when you're playing through the wide receiver, he needs to have his hands on here. He needs to have his hips close to him. He needs to have his hands on the receiver so you can feel him cutting back here. Unfortunately, he's not able to do that, which allows John Brown to cut back on the on the curl and and, and make the the catch. Uh, he plays the ball decently well, but still, that's the that technique issues there again, even though he does have that uh, athleticism. So there's a little bit of like a – Film breakdown on him, but uh, moving on, we have Daryl Roberts. We talked about six foot, one seventy six, another light guy, twenty seven years old, third year with Jets, seventh seventh round pick of the Patriots in two thousand fifteen. Didn't play um, in fifteen with the Patriots. I think he's on the practice squad. Or didn't play at all. Forty tackles uh, with one interceptions last year. Uh, another guy like speed, changes direction, um, loose hips, acceleration, plays low off the snap or some of his pu- his plush traits in terms of his. Uh, kind of like like Burris, where they have some good traits. There's not they don't have a great understanding of the game. Playing the ball in the air is not great at. Even though the play the play I do uh, I do bring up is is uh, a good play of that. But um, and he's not smooth out of his back pedal. So I guess just any thoughts on Roberts and uh, thoughts on any of that Robert uh, Robinson film I brought up? No, I mean the Robinson stuff. Basically, the film more or less aligns with what I was saying before. And Roberts, he's just, he's not really all that good. I mean, I could get into a whole breakdown on different traits on him, but I think you covered it well. If he's your fifth or sixth corner, you can live with it. If he's much more than that, you've got a problem. And we saw that last year. He wasn't good. Him and Burris were both bad. It was funny because they were like, oh no, you know, Roberts or Burris are down or it's like, whatever who cares neither one of them is anything more than a very very rotational defensive back at best so I'm glad that they have an influx of young guys that are going to be fighting for roster spots with guys like Roberts Burris and Screen although I expect Screen will probably at least start the season as the nickel guy and I'm glad that they obviously upgraded with Tremaine Johnson uh, because watching Roberts and Burris take meaningful snaps was not good last year and it was not going to be good this year. Yeah. And this was like uh, the only, like this is one of his good plays, Roberts, where he's on the top of the screen right here. They're playing in cover four. So like I said, you're going to match the vertical stem. If it's like past like 10 to 15 yards, you're going to match that stem and cover four, which is why you see Roberts drop off of, of this, you know, over route. And that's why uh, May jumps on it there. And then you see, uh, uh, is that I think that's Jamal Adams takes the other over routes. They're, they're running, they're running a, a deep mesh concept with a post over top. And Roberts, the, the good thing he does here is that you see that like, that change of direction, something like the fluidity, and he plays the upfield shoulder, which you need to do deep down the field because a lot of times you see 
inexperienced corners, they'll play the the uh, the uh, the backside shoulder, the, the the shoulder that's closer to the quarterback, and then quarterbacks will throw over their heads or throw them open. So it's good that he plays the upfield shoulder and then he undercuts it when the ball is coming. So that's that's that was a good play by him, a uh, good catch too. But overall, um, I just don't think he's very good. He's kind of like Buster Screen in the way that he. Uh, isn't very good at necessarily playing the ball in the air, even though like that was a good example of him playing the ball. But a play like he doesn't get his eyes around, and we see this on this play uh, versus versus uh, versus was it Latimer? Yeah, Latimer. Another play opens his hips way too early there. One, uh, like I said, shuffle hands and and squeeze him to the sideline uh, to challenge that route stem, disrupt timing and things like that. But when you open up right away and you're allowing the receiver to get right into his route, that's that's not good. And th- those hands are basically doing nothing. Um, he's not squeezing to the sideline. He's not, he doesn't have his hands on him here. He's not looking back for the ball. Uh, just bad bad awareness. And, you know, Latimer's easily able to, play, to, to catch the ball here. So that's like some of the bad traits he has. But uh, getting off of him to the next guy so we can get into some other things because I don't want to be a four-hour show. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Clark. Another guy who I, I think I think he might I think he's gonna make the roster if he's if he's checked out uh, medically. Interesting size, six three to 20, 24 years old, six rounder last year but didn't play with that ACL. Uh, size and length are obvious traits that are that are plus. Uh, ball skills, athletic for his size, he can hit, he can tackle. Even though he's kind of passive on on the outside in terms of trying to get involved in the run game, but when he does, he's a he's a good tackler. Uh, weaknesses, bends that waste too much in press. He's passive when being blocked, like I said, and he's not too smooth of an athlete and he opens too soon. So thoughts on Jeremy Clark? Honestly, he's a guy that has some interesting physical traits. He hasn't really played a whole lot. It's really all I can say. I, I liked him coming out of school. I didn't know how good he would be, but I figured he was worth a stab. And so we'll see if I was right. I don't expect him to be any kind of great corner, but again, uh, got getting a guy where you got him, uh, bringing him in to possibly compete for the, you know, fifth corner spot. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And I'm not going to get too much into this, but I'll get into it more when we do the actual breakdown, but uh, he's a little, he's a little hoppy here, but you see that long arm on the, on the bottom of the screen, uh, get on, on the receiver and the receiver actually misses the trying to like swipe it downward so he can get inside, but he misses. Um, there's just some athleticism shown here and then he, then he plays the ball pretty well, playing that upfield shoulder, gets his eyes on the quarterback and then jumps in front of the receiver to play the ball. So he does have some good ball skills. He knows how to play the ball. Um, and he uses his length here. Like I said, with that, with that punch and that athleticism in his hips for his sizes is, uh, is pretty impressive. But again, like a lot of, a lot of young guys, like you think they have some good technique coming out of college, but he has some uh, technique issues um, as as well, which is why he's a six round pick. Also, with with the with the injury, um, right. And here again on the bottom of the screen, he, he, opening your hips right away and press is not what you want to do because you're not disrupting the route at all. Um, and that's you know it doesn't even go that way, but it just like it's the technique flaw I saw there. So, but moving on from him uh, and. I hope we'll we'll see if you're back on the show for the uh, roster prediction. So, can we actually like talk about who we think going to make it? And then the last guy, uh, Derek Jones, who's basically just an athlete who played wide receiver, so he can play yeah. the ball well in the air. Smaller mm-hmm. school, really intriguing. You know, eleven foot eight, broad in, uh, broad jump, forty one inch vert, like that type of stuff. But he's super, super raw. I don't think he's gonna sure. make it. So that is what it is. 
Um, Probably and- not, but whenever you have a, uh, an athlete like that, it's worth a try. Because every once in a while you hit. There are guys that will come in and switch positions because they're such great athletes and turn into a, a useful player. I'd have to sit here and think of some really big-time examples, but just off the top of my head, obviously, you had significant guys that went from quarterback to wide receiver coming out of school. Heinz Ward wasn't an amazing athlete, but he obviously is an example of somebody that switched positions. Tony Martin, if you want to go back even further than that, was a college quarterback who turned into a pretty good wide receiver. So it's not unprecedented. And I mean, even if you look at uh, Brandon Moore, who was a guard for the Jets, he was a defensive lineman in college. So it's never a bad thing to take a shot, but I agree. I don't think he's going to make it. Yeah. Okay. And then moving on to uh, the last like topic, which, um, yeah. Okay. So let's just, like I said, we might, I think we're going to break this up into two shows, which is great. Um, so going over the Jets, like positional losses and gains, they lost Petty, who I'm not going to talk a lot about Petty. He's a fourth round pick 2015, couldn't read defenses, couldn't deliver on simple concepts, hesitation, poor footwork, inaccurate, not many strengths. So quickly, any, anything on, on Petty? They lost him. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, he, he's gone. Who cares? The, I'll say this real quickly. I didn't like the pick out of Baylor, but I also thought that in the fourth round, whatever, if they liked him and thought they could coach him up, my hope was I never, ever thought he'd be a starter, but my hope was maybe they could develop him into a decent backup. And quite frankly, if they were able to do that, it would have been worth a fourth round pick because – Having a quality, reliable backup quarterback for a significant period of time in the NFL is a very underrated thing to have because of the frequency of injuries. Yeah. And the fact that, as you know, Joe, if your starter gets hurt, more often than not, that means your season is over. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out because Bryce Petty just isn't good. As you pointed out a million times, his, his footwork is terrible. He's got a great arm, but that's all he's got. I don't. Mean, I, I wouldn't. Bad. I wouldn't even say it's a great arm. I. I think it's a decent arm. Uh, All right. I'll, I think. Yeah. No. No. I'm just. I'm just saying for like You're those. Right. You know. I. I think it's decent. But like this. Like this play. I went. I actually went over this with Scopey. We both like kind of just like laughed at it. Like this is just the the footwork here. Like, yeah. don't know but necessarily how to break it down. But I, we talked about this a lot when I was on on your show, setting the hallway. And this is what I mean yeah. by the hallway. The the middle part of this foot is should be directed on where we want to throw the ball. His hallway is facing the middle of the field. And then and he's his, throwing off to the right, yeah. And he's throwing off to the right, but his 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 lead foot, one, he's way too wide. His right. lead foot, so so hallway is is here, which I'm I'm showing with the mouse. Mm-hmm. His uh front foot is leading towards the sideline, and neither of them are pointing in the direction they should be to deliver an accurate pass. And and it's low. Anderson does catch it, but that footwork is just miserable. And even the shoulder, like it's not pointing where it should be. It's just he, – he was really – he was really, really bad. Uh, Hackenberg, I don't need to yeah. show any, anybody – I had a play of Hackenberg. I'm not going to bring it up to to uh, to move on. But Hackenberg was terrible. The biggest bust yeah. – one of the biggest busts in Jets history. Probably I, the second biggest bust. Um, <sighs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's hard with him. I know he never even played. But here's the thing. I, and I had an argument with somebody about this the other day. They were trying to tell me – that Hackenberg was a bigger bust than Golston because oh, well, Hackenberg, that's yeah, that obviously ridiculous. 
you have to keep in mind where he was picked and you have to keep in mind essentially the investment that was made. I think he was a huge bust, obviously, but I think it's way worse when you draft a quarterback. I'll put it this way. I think it's worse when you draft a quarterback in the top, say, five or ten, and you waste years thinking that he's going to be the answer to your problems as opposed to picking a guy in the second round, recognizing reasonably quickly that it's not going to work out, and then changing horses. And that's one thing that drafting a guy in the second round allows you to do that it, you can't necessarily do with a guy that you pick so high because you still cling to the idea that he can be that guy you drafted. But, yeah, he was terrible. And the problem with Hackenberg was he was a guy that was going to have to be built completely from scratch. The idea was he had traits he liked, but now we're going to basically have to teach him how to play the quarterback position, which in a way is like Josh Allen. Now, let me just say Josh Allen, I think, is a much better prospect than Hackenberg was. He's more athletic. He's got better footwork and on and on. As far as not footwork for passing, I mean footwork as far as getting out of trouble and doing those kind of things. But it was a similar concern that I think we both had with Allen, which was that, yeah, he's got traits you like, but he's going to have to learn how to play quarterback. And every now and again, every now and again, you'll get a guy, Brett Favre's an example, who was insanely raw. I mean, there was that story about how he didn't even know what half these coverages were when he came into the NFL, but he was just so gifted that he figured out a way around it. It's so hard to do that and to use such a high pick on a guy like Allen to me is crazy because the odds yeah. of him succeeding are so low. Hackenberg was the same thing. The only difference was he wasn't drafted so high, but even in the second round, you always thought to yourself that it was a major take it. You were taking a dart and it was a major toss of a dart at the dartboard because you had a guy who showed some promise his freshman year and had some traits, but he wasn't a good quarterback and he had a million things to fix. And you were just hoping that you could do it. They tried, it didn't work. They moved on. There's really not much more to say. And hopefully he's just a footnote in Jets history. Yeah, we'll forget about him quickly if Darnold's good, which we'll get into a little bit now. Uh, I got some Darnold plays that I'm not going to put up in the um, review that I do with Schofield because I saved like the best plays for him, but I'll bring up some plays with I see with, how uh, it is, Joe. Well, I'm secondary. Well, it's the, cor- it's the quarterback show in this one. We're kind of uh, – so no, I'm kidding. Schofield, obviously, <laughs> uh, we all joke. I love Mark, and I think he's awesome. And uh, the, obviously, there's nobody. I had him on, if you remember, I had him on my quarterback podcast. So believe me, I'm just busting your chops. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to cry about it. Um, so they gained Bridgewater, uh, 25 years old, 6'3", 215. Hasn't played in two years. He almost lost his leg. His injury was so bad. Uh, I'll bring up some plays of him as well because I'm sure people want to hear about quarterbacks. I might have to like timestamp this because it's gonna be like two and a half hours in. Uh, um, but he has some touch and accuracy. He's he's smart. He's fluid drop back. He doesn't panic in the pocket, which I like to see. He leads his wide receivers away from hits. He doesn't force the ball. Um, so let's talk about some of his some of his strengths. Now I can actually show some quarterback uh, highlights with people, which people like. So. I wish we had the NFL films music to play in the background right now at the quarterback highlights. It always goes well. Unfortunately, I do not. But what do you, what do you think about Bridgewater? I like Bridgewater. Obviously, he has his weaknesses, and I'm sure you're going to touch on this. He's not a good deep ball passer for starters. But I think he's a good decision maker. He's generally pretty accurate. He can move, or at least he could before the injury. We'll see what happens now. Uh, I think he doesn't get enough credit because there were a lot of times that in the red zone 
they would gear for the run. So Adrian Peterson would get the touchdown. And so you look at his touchdown numbers and they're relatively low. Yeah. But I, I think that if you look at Bridgewater, at the time he got hurt, he kind of seemed to me to be a more athletic version of Alex Smith with potential to be better. And again, at 25 years old, that's not a terrible place to be. I would compare the Bridgewater signing, by the way, and this is going to be a weird one thing to say, but I would compare it to the Spencer Long signing in a sense, and I'll tell you what I mean. You have two guys that, when healthy, are right in that, say, 13 to 15-ish range, which with potential to be better. Both guys got very low guarantees. Bridgewater even lower guarantee than Spencer Long. And if they work out, they pay major dividends. If they don't, so what? The thing with Bridgewater is, and I'm sure you're going to talk more about this when you get into his strengths and weaknesses, if he's healthy and he's anywhere close to where he was, we've already seen injuries. We've already mm -hmm. seen suspensions. And we're going to see more. There's always at least one or two quarterbacks that something happens to in training camp in the preseason. So with Darnold already on board, if Bridgewater steps up, he could very well be the best quarterback, at least for right now, in Jets camp. And if he is, and the Jets decide, well, there's no real value to keeping him because we want Darnold to play sooner rather than later, they might be able to trade him and get something reasonably good for him. So it's interesting. But, yeah, he's a very accurate passer, and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, which is something that you really like to see. That's mm -hmm. kind of what, what I said about Alex Smith, too. I don't think he's as conservative as Smith, but I think he's sort of in that – when he got hurt, he was sort of in that range. He was maybe average to slightly above average starter with potential to get better, and you expected that breakout season to happen, and then he got hurt. So, Yeah, um, I, the play I brought before is like not, not, there's not much to explain there. He drops back. He's looking around the field. The, the pocket's collapsing a little bit. He's he's scrambling around looking for a option downfield. So it wasn't much to break down. If you're watching it, you can kind of see it for yourself. Um, the thing I always heard is he's a fluid drop back that I like. Um, and he sells play action really, really well, which there's a play, a better example of this that I'm not going to bring up. It's just, he sells it really well, though. Just trust me on that one, which, which is good because it pulls up the linebackers for the extra, you know, split second allowing the tight ends to get behind them or the receiver, whatever it may be. Um, he, does, he doesn't have – I heard technique is, his technique is really good. And I'll bring this up in the show with Schofield. He does have a tendency to rip, to rip the ball which actually leads to some overthrows in the middle of the field. But generally, he is pretty accurate. Like here, I don't think he has a cleanest weight transfer from his back foot to his front foot. It's kind of messy there. But um, regardless, not very wide either. But regardless, he puts the ball in a nice area. This is like the smarts where he's leading the receiver well on a seam route where he sees he, he knows the safety is, is over here. Um, and instead of leading his – where if he was the lead – where uh, his receiver here, you know, the, the safety might be able to drive on it and, and make a play or even deliver a big shot. But we see him frequently lead his receivers away from contact as well. So he has smart placement yeah. of the ball. Um, He's a he, very smart quarterback for sure. Yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't lead his receivers into, um, into big hits. There's another one I think I'll, I'll bring up on, on the show with, with Schofield too. But there's, there's some strengths of his. I'm not going to get crazy into it. But his arm strength is, is definitely um, – an issue for for me sure. just in terms of you know getting the ball into tight windows before the uh, cornerback can break on it 
or um, even just even just getting the ball down deep deep uh, on a post or on a nine route. And, so. and with a guy like Robbie Anderson, obviously that's a concern because that's really what he does best, and he's arguably your best weapon on offense. Yeah, and on this play, you're seeing him drop back. He he rolls out, which is good. Nice step up in the pocket, and then he scrambles outside of the pocket, and looks like they're in a cover four. They have some they have some mixture of man in there too. This is a, it's actually a pretty weird defense. I have to look at it a couple of times to see. But um, Peters Peters is in a zone here, and he sees that, um, and he and he sees that they're about to throw this what stop route a uh, curl. No, I'll call it a stop route. And because of his arm strength, now it'd be a tight window anyway, but you see the ball kind of like just like float. Like you can see the ball float up there where usually if you see like strong arm strength on film, the ball kind of breaks up in midair where it's going so fast you can't see it. And one of the good indicators of not strong arm strength for me is one, you could tell just by how long it takes to get there, but also if you can see the ball the entire time on the throw, um, it's not that strong of an arm. I think that's a good indicator, at least on film for me. Um, and Peters is able to, to drive on it and tip it, which leads to an interception here. So if he had a stronger arm, that, that might have been able to fit in there, but that's just an example of him, him and his, his not-so-strong arm strength, which allows the uh, Peters to drive on the ball and make a play on it. So that's a problem from him. But like I said, smart, fluid, doesn't panic, loses receivers away from hit, which is nice to see, but weak traits, the, the arm strength and things like that, injuries. Um, he's not even a sure. athlete in really any way. Um, and then no, the Jets, no, not at all. And then the Jets, they, they got back McCown, obviously, um, who in short his strengths uh, makes checks at the line. He isolates, uh, he isolates one, one versus one opportunities pre-snap, which is good. A smart ball placement. He is actually quite an athlete for um, what, I, what I previously thought of him. So I, I, I like size, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, let me just – I'll pull up a couple of plays of, of McCown. I don't think people are going to be crazy interested in uh in McCown but go ahead I guess go ahead and just talk on while bringing it up yeah I think McCown is what he is there's a reason why he's been on so many teams in so many years he's good enough to stay in the league and be serviceable but he's not good enough to be your solution so he is essentially and I know Joe Caparoso hates this term he's the bridge quarterback he's the guy that you have while you're waiting for the guy the actual guy to show up or he's the guy that you have is that steady backup that we talked about before when we were talking about if Bryce Petty had turned into something. Now, listen, if Bryce Petty could have turned into Josh McCown, that would have been great. Oh, because, definitely. Look, he, yeah, he never would, you know, he wouldn't have been a long-term starter, but imagine having 25-year-old Josh McCown as your long-term backup. That's not a bad thing to have at all. So, look, we, we know that there are a lot of times he has – perfectly fine arm strength certainly much better than Fitzpatrick but one of the big weaknesses with him is that he doesn't see things a lot of the time there are a lot of times when we will watch games and I remember you and I texting each other where you would say oh he didn't see Robbie on such and such route or he didn't see this guy open or he didn't see that guy open I think there was one game where Austin Safarian Jenkins seriously looked like he was gonna kill I I don't remember if it was Bryce Petty or uh, I think it was Bryce Petty but uh, he looked like he was going to kill Bryce Petty because he was so wide open. You never saw anything that egregious from McCown, but there were a lot of times when he left plays on the field, the type of plays that you hope Darnold doesn't leave on the field. And that's yeah. really, to me, the difference between somebody like McCown and hopefully somebody like Darnold is that a guy who's at that higher level 
makes those plays and sees those things. And McCown is a guy that is just, he's limited. That's really all there is to it. Like you said, though, a much better athlete than I think people understood, especially for a guy his size, uh, he can move. He's not, you know, Cam Newton or Steve Young back in his prime or somebody like that, but he's perfectly capable of moving. So I think maybe $10 million was too much. But like you said, who cares? They have monopoly money to play with next year anyway. And he's a good mentor. He's well-respected. He's a guy that Bates has a lot of faith in. He's already – listen, this is exactly what you wanted to hear out of McCown. His exact words when they asked him what he wants his legacy on the Jets to be was, if I can help Sam in any way, Sam Darnold become a great quarterback, then I'll know that I did my job. He didn't say, oh, I want to lead the Jets to the playoffs, although I'm sure he does. He didn't say, I want to be remembered as one of the great quarterbacks in Jet history. He's a guy that, in the words of The Rock, knows his role. He knows what he's here for. Last year, he was here to hold down the fort Mm -hmm. until either Hackenberg or Petty stepped up, which obviously never happened, or until they went out and either signed Cousins or drafted somebody in the draft. And so he's done all that you could ask from him and like i said limited but perfect for the situation yeah now if you're watching on youtube i brought up a play of smart ball placement where he's basically just throwing behind austin safarian jenkins who runs a stop route he's kind of drifting into the defense to try to find a a soft spot and instead of leading austin safarian jenkins where the linebacker in the hook zone would have intercepted the ball he throws it behind um and austin safarian jenkins is able to make the catch and this is like the uh, just reading the the there's a there's a M O F C look which is just a middle of the field close which is cover one cover three uh, there's a mofo look which is cover two cover four the middle of the field is open where like let's just say for simple like simple terms like you see you see a mofo look the middle of the field op- is open a post will work versus a mofo look where a uh, a field a middle of the field close look uh, a post wouldn't work because there's there's a player responsible for that zone but here. Uh, he sees the middle of the field close uh, look pre-snap. He also checks the safety um, at the top, which which one you're seeing if the safety is driving towards Anderson on this play, and he's also holding him there for just that extra split second where he's able to throw this ball deep um, with a good location to to Robbie Anderson. So just an example of some like smart things that, that he does, which mofo and the middle of the field close. The, the Wiley veteran, as they say. Yeah. So, but then again, there are times where he's he's just way way too risky, um, not always accurate. He relies too much on one on ones. Uh, reading defenses post snap is not as good as pre snap. Arm strengths and some things like that um, just aren't too pretty. I'm just gonna bring up the uh, this like play. Like these are plays that you should make. I'm gonna bring up, and he just doesn't. I don't know if you remember this uh, play during this game, but uh, I forget what route. I don't know what route. Forte. He kind of like checks and he's just releasing and trying to find a, a soft spot. And it looks like him and McCown have some good, pretty good like chemistry here. Like they know what's going to happen, but McCown just misses him. Where if right. he throws this accurately, that's an easy touchdown. The the, right. the the water the the defensive back has no idea where Forte is. He just throws it into his chest right here. It's an easy touchdown. I'm going to say just really inaccurate here. So um, he just he's not a special player. He's okay. Uh, you know he is what he is. He's a he's a journeyman for a reason, but. Um, now something that people are going to want to hear is Donald, um, you know, let's remind people that they can hear your entire 2017 review of Donald 
in our archives at Play Like a Jet. We did a six-part series on that. And let's remind them that on the next show, they'll be able to hear you and Mark Schofield go toe-to-toe on Darnold. In fact, Schofield, if you want to hear a little bit of a preview of what you'll hear out of him, you can uh, go ahead into the archives and check out the Sam Darnold getting to know the quarterbacks episode that we did before the draft when him and Dan Arlovsky both came on. But yeah, this, this is the, this is the meal ticket, man. This is what everybody's interested in. Everybody wants Sam Darnold. Nobody wants to talk about Josh McCown. I can assure you of that they all talk <laughs> about Sam Darnold. So 21 years old, USC, obviously Jets should have the three to get him. Six, four to 20. Uh, they traded three second round picks to get him. I'm going to bring up a decent amount of strengths and weaknesses here that I couldn't fit on the other podcast because I like talking about Darnold because uh, it's exciting. Um, throwing on the runs, a big strength. And like I said, this is condensed strengths and weaknesses. I'll bring up some more on the show that's coming up. But throwing on the run is probably one of his, his biggest strengths. Um, he's patient making reads. He doesn't panic. He has good, really good accuracy. He's good pocket awareness. He has good anticipation of windows. Um, he has good arm strength. He has good touch. He makes full field reads. He has good uh, scrambling ability. He's willing to take shots. Um, he keeps his eyes downfield. So uh, let's talk about some strengths here. I'm going to show some uh, some plays of Donald, which I know people do uh, want to see because we've been getting some of that recently. So yeah, let's uh, let's bring up this. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Any any uh, thoughts on his strengths while I uh, pull these up? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that, and Dan Arlovsky talked a lot about this, and I know you did too, he can make good throws to great throws without having his feet set perfectly, which is such a rare trait. Now, it's not ideal. You don't want him to do that a lot. But the fact that he can is just – it shows that he can be special. I think his ability to make plays – on the run when the play breaks down. I know that you've compared him to, um, to Roethlisberger in that way. Some people have compared it to Tony Romo. I know that that's what, um, that is what uh, Dan Orlovsky said. And actually, yeah. um, uh, Brian Hemmerdinger, who was the, who's the Jets' uh, number two guy in command behind McCagnin, we talked to Albert Breer on our series that's still in progress, the road to Sam Darnold. And he told Albert Breer that when he first watched Darnold in that Rose Bowl game, the game that really put him on the radar, he immediately looked at him and said, Tony Romo. So I think those are things that are just so tough to be able to do. And there's stuff that you can't teach. You can't teach the ability to make great throws when your feet aren't set perfectly. You can't teach the ability to improvise and to, to make these plays on the run. These are just things that you either can do or you can't do. And, you know, the fact that he was able to do full field reads, which you talked about in our series is so impressive because for a guy who's still relatively new to the quarterback position, he was a linebacker for a good portion of the early parts. And then turned into a quarterback late in his high school career for him to be able to make full field reads like that is just it's phenomenal now you'll talk about the weaknesses so I'll hold off on that but there's so much to get excited about when you see this kid play yeah I'm gonna bring up like at least like five or six plays of of his strengths like this is just another example of like this is he's patient going through his reads he's reading the uh the slot receiver here you see his eyes snap to the slot receiver then they snap to the outside receiver then they then they snap to the to the uh, the running back who's running the swing route. 
He doesn't panic. The puck's collapsing a little bit. He still has some decent uh, room, but like you said, able to make throws while his feet aren't set. Like his feet are parallel when making this throw. That's not a good throwing motion necessarily. Um, even though he could have maybe planted, but he sees this this wide receiver. I would call it a snag route, and then he then he starts to drift into the soft spot in the zone. But it's a pretty tight window on the run right there, and and he hits it in a, in a perfect area where he's not leading it too much. Where this other defender. Um, would be able to make a play on it, but at the same time, he's leading it enough away from number was that sixteen? It looks like um, while mm-hmm. on the run with no base. So that's like like I said, there's just there's a lot of little um, impressive things about him. And this is another play I'm going to uh, bring up of his, um, you know, his accuracy and his ability to make throws on the run that are super impressive here. And this was a tight window on a comeback, and this is against. Uh, Ohio State, and I'm going to bring up in a second right here. And, and just again to jump in and remind anybody listening to this that you can hear and see way more of this with Mark Schofield in a week. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be two hours of breaking down the quarterbacks. We're only doing it in a couple of minutes because uh, it's going to be like a four-hour podcast, which it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew I had too much information. I had five pages of things. Um <laughs> But yeah, he sells a play action. This isn't like a read a read option or not a, not a read option. This isn't an RPO or anything like that. It's just a play action. Rolls out to the right, um, and his ability. And this is like that shoulder torque thing that I talk about. He's able to generate a lot of torque where he really cocks that back, and you see like that aggressive, like that that like kind of violence in his upper body where he's able to really generate a lot of power from that upper body. I like it. Um, and this is like it's it's. I don't think, I don't think this is the best like quality, but that's a look at that that freaking window and that oh, location yeah. on that ball is just. The, the receiver, it's probably, it's probably, a, it's probably a comeback route. Like I said, I wasn't able to get like full um, bird's eye view Man. of Arnold, but the ability to make this throw on the run. And this is, a, this is, wasn't even his impre- one of his most impressive throws. There's a lot more than this, but it's hard to see right there, but he, he's leading the receiver to the sideline because the, um, the defender is so tight on the guys on, on the receiver's hips. It's the only place he can put it. And it's a rocket too. That's, that's a freaking that is a rocket oh, on the yeah. run with ridiculous location. Um, and that's just, I that's I get I get excited talking about him Um, it's hard not to Joe and I'll tell you just from hearing reports from receivers and running backs in the early going of minicamp there's a big difference between catching a ball from Sam Darnold and catching a ball from Teddy Bridgewater you know what I mean Again, yeah, and, and look at this, too. Like, this is what I talk about, not perfect mechanics. He's throwing the ball pretty much parallel to the sideline. Flat-footed, yeah. Flat-footed, drop he, – he's not generating really any torque from his hips. He's not, he's not driving through that front foot. He's not, he doesn't have a weight transfer. He's drifting back into the pocket. And I show, I'm showing this at first, but then look at this location. Uh, it's uh, – it's just it's, – it's, there's no way that a quarterback should be able to make a throw like that with his feet positioned that way. And, and it just he, shouldn't be able to happen. Yeah, he's taking he's taking the, the the snap. He's looking at the middle field. It's a cover. It's cover one, um, and there's a slot fade from the receiver on the uh, three by. It's a three by one set. The three by one sets to the uh, field side, and the receiver runs a slot fade. Like I said, no base, nothing. And he's leading the receiver not only vertically, but again, he's leading the receiver outside. Where if he leads him just vertically here, this receipt this this wide receiver either gets smacked by the safety or the safety either intercepts it or intercepts it or deflects the ball. But this throw is just uh. if you think about it, Joe, it, with his feet positioned like that to make a throw like that, I mean, really, you couldn't do better if you 
called the timeout. Everybody froze, and he walked the ball over to the guy. Yeah. Like that. I mean, it's just unreal that he can make a throw, not only make that throw in between two defenders, but to do it with his feet positioned like that. How many quarterbacks on earth at any level could make a throw like that? Like three at best? Maybe? Yeah, there's there's not a lot. And that's why when I talk about him and I called you, I remember, because uh, you, you always like, ask me my opinion on stuff, which I appreciate. Um, I was excited because I was watching this film and it's hard to describe it like like when you're not watching it. But for the people who were listening to the your podcast, which they should go listen to, it's like a five-hour podcast on Sam Darnold. But um, this, is, this is some of the ability I talked about, keeping his eyes downfield, full field read, drops back. He's reading the left, then he reads the right, goes back to the left again. He starts to feel a little bit of heat in the pocket. And a lot of quarterbacks here don't have this pocket awareness or even like just awareness in general where they might scramble out yeah. here and get tackled. In his peripherals where the, the linebacker is behind him or linebacker, yeah, the outside linebacker, um, instead of just trying to run for it on third down, he cuts back, which is, you know, nice showing up his athleticism, drops his hips nice here, plants hard, and gets around the uh, the linebacker, makes some miss here. So that's good awareness. One, keeping his eyes downfield. And then also he keeps his eyes downfield again, too. Like he doesn't panic where he's looking at just the rushers here as another defender is, is you know, coming in fast. And another tight window. It's not a crazy tight window, but this is just more of an example of the pocket awareness, ability to rocket a ball into a guy. And that's, again, a rocket. You can't even see this ball. That, that really is Tony Romo-level stuff right there, even, you know, if you want to take it to the Brett Favre thing. But, wow. You, you look at stuff like that, and that's why – as much as I love Mayfield and I still think he's going to be really, really good. And I think Rosen's going to be very good. Darnold is just a guy that even if you want to say that he took a little bit of a step back in 2017, for whatever reason, and it wasn't quite as good in 2017 as he was in 2016, you watch plays like that. And it's just, and look, it's not like Josh Allen where you watch his film and you might see a play like that. And then, you'll see like 30 plays that are terrible. No, it's happened a lot. Yeah, you see stuff like this a lot with Darnold. And it's just, man, it's something else. It just He just looks like a guy who, man, I don't want to oversell it, but like, you know, you and I were talking right after the draft when you really got to watch his film. He really does look like he could be on that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, Roethlisberger kind of level. Now, look, let's not get carried away. <clears throat> he's got to still do it. But he's got the ability that so few guys have, and it really is remarkable to watch stuff like this because, like I said, there are so few people on planet Earth at any level that could play quarterback <laughs> and make plays like this. Yeah. Um, Brim, another play too. And this uh, – let me, let me see here. This is um... – Oh, I, I put this as anticipation of windows. Oh, it's a comma on the top there. This is the footwork, which I'll show a better example of it next week when I do it with Schofield. This is a little bit of a step in the bucket here where he's stepping t- uh, towards the sideline, which is he's kind of fighting his own momentum there, um, where he's not really driving his foot towards the receiver like he should be. So it's not the priest mechanics. And then there's also an example of that, that windmill release that people talk about where you want the ball from here pretty much to go straight up into that L position and throw it. So it's a little bit of a wasted motion here as he as he winds it up like that. You don't want to see that wind. But people overhyped it a lot where he still has a good release. It's just not a great release um, because of that. But still, uh, even with that step in the bucket, with that with that windmill release type of thing, it's a it's a dagger concept. It's just minus the uh, the short drag route that's usually involved with a dagger. But um, this inside defender or this inside receiver is basically just going to pull 
pull uh, the defenders like in a cover two, cover three, cover four, you know, pull them vertically while the, the, the dagger or the, uh, you know, the dig route kind of comes underneath it. But again, not a perfect throwing motion steps in that bucket, but yeah. another pretty tight window. So look at that ball placement, man. Just look at that. Yeah. That is, wow. I mean, you can't do it any better than that. You just can't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's impressive, and that's that's why you got that uh, that phone call, and I was so so excited. But I'm now going to bring up um, another play of him. I'm only go a couple more of the strengths, and I'm gonna I'm being a little bit biased here. I'm showing a little bit more strengths because we do go over more a lot more weaknesses in his game with um, with with Schofield. But this I'm gonna show some uh, of his arm strength and his his timing here as I as I have it um, noted in the the show. Let's see. So, uh, uh, I put this as a big boy throw and this isn't like anything crazy, but you see him, you see him drop back reading the left side of the field on third and 14. And he knows that his receiver is going to break at the first down marker on this comeback. And the good thing about it is that he throws the ball before the receiver is looking back at him, which which you you need to do. If you're throwing it, if the, and Schofield said this last week, he's probably gonna say it again. If you if the receiver can see the quarterback throwing him the ball, it's too late. It's too late, right? It's too late, and the he, windows and closed. The windows closed, but bang, right there. First down marker. He knows it's coming, and he throws a rocket. That's that's a rocket. So I talked about his arm strength on your podcast. Talk about it on this podcast, and that's another example. He, he he whips it in there. Perfect location and, again. Anticipation throws like that for somebody who's only been playing the quarterback position for what four years? I mean, wow. and he's twenty years old that's unbelievable i mean that's again there are only a handful of guys in the world at any level that could do what he does with those throws it's just man if you're a jets fan and you've been reduced to watching such bad quarterback play really for a long time other than if you take out brett Favre, the three quarters of the season in 2008 once chad pennington's shoulder was done after 2004, the Jets have mostly had just such bad quarterback play. And to watch this guy and think about what he could potentially be, it really is, as a Jets fan, it's hard not to get and incredibly some, excited. Some, some people have Lamar Jackson rated higher than him, which is <laughs> – I don't this, – This is a veer. This is a veer play. Um, so he runs the veer. And, it, like, there's bad examples of his of his scrambling ability too and his, his, his running ability. But – He's not a he's not Michael Vick. He's not Lamar Jackson in terms of his scrambling, but you can run a couple of RPOs with him, and he can run away from some yeah. linebackers and safeties. And and here he does on this play. Um, it's opened up pretty nicely, but still, just a little example of of his uh, his speed there, which is which was nice Thank to you. see. And the last strength that I'll talk about too, I'll bring up a play of. I uh, say he's willing for a guy his size. That is impressive, man. To be yeah. able to move like that. See, Scott, you're finally seeing what I see. Even I know you I always. I, I know. Always I know. No, 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 I know you're watching. But now we can actually talk about it and see it. It's, it's <laughs> nice. It is nice. Um, and this again, just him moving, him, him moving in the pocket again, and not, not panicking. Uh, drops back. He's reading the left, reading the right. Like I said, full field reads. He's keeping his eyes downfield. He sees this outside linebacker, um, pretty much getting into his face. It doesn't panic. He steps up in the pocket again, and then instead of throwing off balance, which he does sometimes like a little bit too much, but he tries to get on balance as much as he can. It's not a great mechanics here, but he. He hitches towards his target, gets his feet set as best he can, 
and again delivers delivers the ball. So it's not that impressive. And like like I've seen better plays from him, but it's another example of just not panicking, keeping your eyes downfield, and being able to find the open receiver. Which that was one of Mayfield's big problems was he would drop his eyes too soon right. and try to scramble. Darnold is is going to keep his eyes downfield, even if he's getting smacked in the mouth. He's going to keep his eyes downfield. So another example of that. That it's just man. Again, you watch him. And it's just there's so much hope. And you know the other the other silly thing, aside from what you're talking about with Lamar Jackson, ah, uh, these people. I don't want them to address Sam Darnold because he went to USC. All right, really? Okay. I mean, so I, I still don't understand how stupid that is. It, it really. What does Mark Sanchez and Matt Leiner have to do? It's that old causation versus correlation thing, you know. And so. I that's another added bonus where I'd love to see Darnold do great for a million reasons, but one of them is so I can stop hearing stupid people say stupid things like, "Oh, USC." Yeah, yeah. It's it. You have different staffs. You have different coordinators. You have different opponents. It's it's really right. dumb. Everything's um, different. But this is one of the weaknesses. I'll bring up two plays of his weaknesses where I say he's too aggressive. This is too aggressive. Um, one, the game situation. You're up seven to nothing. You're in field goal range. You have another down. You're on the one-yard line in Arizona territory. And one, it's not the best throw because it could be back here, um, but you're forcing a ball where there's three defenders and you have to put it in the perfect location again for for this receiver to make a play on this ball. It's second down, throw the ball out of bounds, maybe try to scramble. Um, and even if you don't get it on third down, kick a field goal, then you're up you're up two scores instead of one. So that's an example of his of his over-aggression with trying to fit the ball into uh, – into tight windows where he really he, he doesn't have to so yeah he's just man there's so many things to to like and there are <laughs> some downsides but the downside the thing to me that, that that I think about with Darnold is the downsides are fixable and even like you said the over aggressiveness there Dan Orlovsky I think said it best he said look yeah you'd prefer if these guys don't make a lot of mistakes but you want that guy who has the confidence in himself to try and make a throw into a tight window when nobody else could do it and stuff like that. Because the guys that don't take chances like that, that are super cautious, you're only going to go so far. Alex Smith is the perfect example of that. How many times if we watched him be, I believe it was Sam Monson from PFF called him pathologically conservative. And there's only so far your offense is going to go. You're yeah. going to live in, you're going to die. And I think David Aiken actually from our website, turnonthejets.com, had the best assessment of Darnold in this way. He said, Darnold is the kind of guy that could lead the league in interceptions year one. And by year three, he's leading the league in touchdown passes. That's kind of how I feel about it. You're going to have to deal with some early over-aggressiveness and mistakes. I think you'll still deal with that to an extent yeah. Going forward, you're always going to. He's, you know, he's, he'll dial it down a little, but, you know, but I think that overall, you're going to see the mistakes will go down a decent amount and the good stuff is going to go way up. And you're, I don't want to, I keep talking about it and I'm going to jinx it, but I just, I'm super excited to watch this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited too, especially for like some of the anticipation throws he makes as a 20 year old. I think he's able to do off script, keeping his eyes downfield, making backyard type football plays, um, his full field of reads. Like it's just, he's, 
he is really he's really impressive. And like I said, we'll get into it more next week. So in this last play, he's forcing the, the triple coverage. You are down twenty four to nothing uh, versus Ohio State, but uh, again, you don't need to you don't need to do this. It is I think it's first or second down in this play, um, so it's not necessary. But let's get off of Donald. I'm gonna get ton into it with with Schofield next week. So yeah, let's... and make sure you listen next week. You're gonna want to hear all about that. Oh yeah, believe me, yeah. Yeah. Schofield <laughs> is one of my favorites, and you two together is gonna be can't miss. So make sure you're tuned into that. I appreciate that. Now for the end of the pod, let's let's just run through these guys quick. I'm gonna pull up some plays. We'll do it quick though. Uh, running back Crowell is a new ad. Um, two twenty five, five eleven, twenty five years old. His first. Four years, he's had 737 carries for a little bit over 3,000 yards, 4.2 yard average. Um, he can catch the ball, 96 receptions over his career, 777 yards. He wasn't helped by the Browns' offensive line at all. Um, they were almost they, they weren't as bad as the Jets' offensive line, but they were they were pretty close. And um, I'm just gonna pull up a play here, but other than that um he has some bursts quick change of direction you know he's pretty patient uh powerful versus arm tackles he always drives his legs uh he can cut back multiple lanes good hands so and if you see and i am reading off my phone but the good thing the the hard thing about doing so many player film reviews is i forget some people's strengths and weaknesses so i have to i have to look at them because there's i just watch i watch so many i watch a lot of players i have a problem um yeah yeah I'll say this, though. It's an addiction that will get you into a lot less trouble than some other addictions. Oh, yeah, like being addicted to, uh, you know, to crack or something like that. So (laughs) let's hope that never happens. Uh, This is your version of crack is is breaking down film. It's my crack. Um, So this is uh, I'm going to say it's a tight zone. I'm going to call it a tight zone or inside zone. <clears throat> but regardless, um, so I'm not going to watch him many times to try to figure out exactly what it is because you can't just – it's almost impossible to watch a play and immediately know what it is. got to watch so many different keys to see what it is exactly. But I'm most likely 99.9% sure the right guard and the right tackle are not supposed to, to block this four tech, and one of them is supposed to kick out to this number 43, the, the, the safety. But unfortunately, they do not, and Crowell is tackled behind the line of scrimmage. And this happened – a lot with Crowell. So I'm just going to, I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, 4.2 yard average with the Browns offensive line um, is, is actually, is actually pretty, pretty impressive to me. Um, I'm going to bring up a play of his uh, burst. And I think he's a little bit like mislabeled where he's like a power runner. I don't really think he's a power runner. I think he's kind of a more of an all around type guy and I'll get into it more. Or do more of a power runner than anyone else they have, but yeah, I agree. Well, no, Thomas Rawls is definitely more of a power runner than he is. Um, oh, you know, I completely forgot about Rawls because I don't even really think he's going to make the team. But yeah, you're right. No, but uh, yeah, but Crowell is powerful when running through arm tackles, but when going straight head on, he's not a powerful runner in my opinion. Um, and mm-hmm. here, this is just a, it's an inside zone split or a tight split. Um, and again, the the play side gap that he's that he's reading, he's reading first. He's reading this three tech. You can see his eyes. Um, the guard is creating no push on number ninety seven, which I believe is Atkins. Um, ninety nine is then winning the play side gap as well. So he decide, he he has to cut the run back, but he's not he's not like he's not going to be impatient here. He's just going to kind of put his head down and try to gain a yard. He waits and he sees that the backside is open. He cuts back multiple lanes, and then again another nice cut there um, to to gain you know five yards instead of a loss of two. So I played in full motion. You can see it's more impressive, but uh, 
that patience to bounce back multiple gaps was pretty pretty impressive from Cruel there. So I thought he's a little bit mislabeled where he can bounce the runs and things like that, where he's not just like a downhill type type of uh, type of runner. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side, like I said, it was powerful arm tackle, uh, powerful through arm tackles. He's patient, which I'll bring up. I guess I'll bring up. Actually, I won't bring it up. Screw it. I'll, I'll bring up for the next show. We have, uh, some other things to cover. Um, now in terms of his weaknesses, I think he runs a little bit high. I don't think he's a good pass blocker. He's a little bit hesitant. He has inconsistent vision. I don't think he has great balance when he's, when he's cutting. Uh, he, he, you see him slip a lot and, and things like that. I'm going to bring up uh, just an example of like him one versus one versus a linebacker and show why his, his technique is not, is not good on this play. I'm not going to talk about the play and all this stuff. We're going to talk about strictly just him versus this 47. I don't know if that's a linebacker or a safety in the Packers defense, but this is what you don't want to see because, yeah, it looks like he's low, but, Scott, you could tell where is all that bent coming from. Look at his yeah. leg. Yeah. Look at his body. So you're not going to be able to generate full force. You're not going to be able to explode no. through him if your legs and your and your uh, upper body are not in, in sync where he's bending literally all at his upper body. you got to bend through your legs, too, to, to right. be able to break tackles. And he, and he gets stood up here. He doesn't mean he doesn't mean knock him back. Well, you know, it's like they say when you're lifting something heavy, lift with your legs, right? Exactly. And he doesn't mean he doesn't mean knock the guy back here. It's he tackles him immediately. So he's not really too powerful of a of a runner. Um at, at least in in my opinion of, you know, Cruel, but we'll we'll get off of him for the for the other guys. Uh Thomas Rolls, 5'9", 215, 24 years old. Uh I think he's a 7th round pick of the of the Seahawks. Uh first 2 years he had 147 carries. Or no, his first year to the Seahawks in 2015 had 147 carries, 830 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. Really, people thought he was really impressive, but last two years he's he's had about 150 carries, averaging just about three yards per carry, battling through injury problems. But pretty fast guy, bounces off hits, trucks people, plays hard, some explosion weaknesses. Doesn't carry the ball too tight. He's uh he, he's injured because of his run his run style. Um, right. In, in my opinion, and then he isn't a decisive runner. So, uh, any thoughts on on Fly? I don't have any film of you yet. I will for the for the show that I do with him. But with Thomas Rawls, yeah, I I think he's a guy that flashed a couple of years ago. He's had a lot of injuries. If the Jets get something out of him, cool. If not, whatever. I don't okay. necessarily think that he's going to even make the roster. That was just that was why I forgot about him when you mentioned power runners because I keep thinking yeah. of. The other guys, the other three, Bilal Powell, uh, also Elijah McGuire, and obviously um, Crowell. So yeah. we'll see. But if he if he can give them something, he's another one. The Jets brought in a lot of guys this offseason that fall into the what-the-heck category. And so we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So moving on from that, like I said, we'll expedite it. Uh, they got Flowers. We talked about Flowers before. I think he's the fullback. Offensive line, they gained long. We talked about that. Swanson, who – Six five, three hundred pounds. He's kind of like, uh, he's kind of like Johnson in ways where uh, he's like he, he moves well in space. He's yeah. fluid, but his his he's not powerful. He has no explosion. He has he has no anchor. Narrow base, slow hands, weak punch, bad technique. So Johnson left, who's the worst center in the league, and they gained Swanson, the who is one of the other worst centers in the league. <laughs> right, but he's a backup at this point. So that's right. better than being. Um, right. So, you know, it is what it is. I like it in terms of depth, at least. Um, he's better, yeah, he, he's better than Johnson. Moving on yeah. to receiver, we gained uh, – actually, go ahead, talk about Swanson if you want. I think it's a good move as a backup, at least. I'm not going to kill it. 
Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. I think Swanson's a bad center. I think Wesley Johnson, if you remember, when he backed up Mangold, he played decent in relief, but got exposed yeah. badly as soon as he had to be relied upon. That's kind of how I feel about Swanson. If Spencer Long misses a game or two here and there, I think the Jets will be okay. If Spencer Long misses a lot of games like he did last year, the Jets are going to be in a lot of trouble. So that's more or less yeah. what I come down on Swanson. Yeah, moving on to receiver, we talked about Pryor, we talked about Andre Roberts, we talked about Charles Johnson, nothing to touch on there. Tight end, we talked about Clive Walford, who signed a four-year, $3.3 million deal. Um, Chris Hernan, um, who we talked about a little bit, but he's a, I'll do the film breakdown on him too. A uh, guy who can block, he runs some pretty pretty clean routes. He's a um, He's he's a good pass catcher. He's not explosive really in any way, but we'll we'll figure out about him more in the future. Because like I said, I haven't really done a full s- scouting report on him, so I'm not gonna just put out false things that I don't really know about him. Austin Safarian Jenkins left the tight end position. He got a two year deal, ten point five million dollars last year. He had three hundred fifty seven yards, three touchdowns, nothing crazy. Uh, he disappeared in some games. He dropped some touchdowns. Uh, he wasn't a great blocker, but he got good size and he could high point the ball. Um, but I, I wasn't like crazy impressed with him. He's just a decent tight end, and the Jets, yeah. the Jets have had such bad tight ends that he looked really more impressive than he actually was. And in some of these plays, listen, Jets fans are gonna hate to, to hear on this on like on this fade. People, oh, this is a touchdown! This is a touchdown! This is a touchdown! It was not a touchdown. You gotta stop being biased here. I, I talk about this after the game. Catch! You gotta pull that in, and you gotta be able to hold on to it. But this right here. Where the ball slides, that right there, it's not a catch. You do not have control of the ball. I'm sorry. It, it, you, my, I want to disagree with the NFL. I think they should change the rule. But as soon as he lost the ball right there, it's not a catch. So don't give it to me, Jets fans. He needs, he needs to catch yeah. this ball. Safarian Jenkins is a guy that physically is a specimen. And like you said, he knows how to high point the ball and all that. But, you know, look at his <laughs> yards per catch and look at the fact that like he's – Like seven-something, uh, right? Yeah, something like that, like 7.1. Look at the fact that he was at best, and again, you're going to get on me for saying this, a below average blocker for a tight end. But he, I liked him a ton coming out of Washington, and I was thrilled when the Jets got him because I thought he had so much upside. And I would have been fine with keeping him. I just it wasn't a big deal that he left. He was a very average tight end, and I think that he was uh, – this is what I will say. He's the first, he was the first legitimate receiving option they've had at tight end since Dustin Keller, but that's not really saying a lot. Yeah, now, and like this play, he drops an easy touchdown. And I'm not just being like, I'm not like one of those Jets fans, like, oh, he left the Jets, screw him. If I could have him on the team right now, I would take him. I would much rather have him, Tomlinson, and Hernan on the team. But unfortunately, you know, he signed for a little bit more than the Jets were willing to pay. Should they have paid him? Maybe, but I'm not going to kill the Jets for it. Um, moving on from the defensive line, uh, the Jets, obviously, they, they lost Ely, which I thought they should have resigned him. They added uh, Fadokasi. They added Shepard. They added Anderson. We talked about them all before. They lost to Wilkerson. He got paid nearly $17 million over five years in 2015. Um, he's an absolute joke. I shouldn't even be talking about him. He completely loafed on, on a ton of games, and he was just a, a massive, massive disappointment. You know, hometown guy, yeah. you think he's going to really play hard for the team. As soon as he gets the money, we see plays like this, where he is the one tech right here, and he's not even trying. Just no yeah. 
Like what? It no drive. He's not playing with left. Like he's not trying to get low. This is just, he was embarrassing, and this happened a lot it, last year. It really is a shame, Joe. It really is, and I think that he was the guy that, in some ways, was overrated by the fan base before. He was always a really good player, but yeah, once he got paid, I mean, him and Rebus, it was the same situation. I think what probably happened with Wilkerson, and I could be wrong, is that, and this is what I suspect happened with Rebus. After the injury, he just wasn't physically the same guy. And since he couldn't be the guy that he was before, he just kind of threw up his hands and said, screw it. Like, look, like Scott, are you, are you watching this play? Can you, like, t- like really tell? Like, the, the effort here is just – No, no, well, that's what I'm saying. Look at that. I, I know. Threw up, he just threw up his hands and said, the hell with it, which is what Rebus did, really. I mean, if you want to take it a step further with Rebus – Look at the effort he put in, you know, with the Chiefs. That was even more embarrassing. I mean, he, he might as well have just – they tell him stand over on the left sideline and don't move. And that really was what you got a lot with Wilkerson. And, unfortunately, the warning signs were always there. If you go back to Collision Low Crossers, the book that Nicholas Dowadoff wrote about the 2011 Jets, he chronicled that whole draft process before mm-hmm. that season. And Wilkerson was known coming out of school for – taking plays off and not giving it his all and even admitted in the pre-draft interviews that his biggest weakness was the fact that he didn't always give it a hundred percent and so you kind of knew that and the idea was you draft him and you hope the coaching staff can coach him up and blah 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 and it worked for a while but then I think when the injury came and he got paid and he realized he had his money and on top of it he also couldn't necessarily be as good as he was before Instead of having to try super hard to be three quarters as good, he just said, screw it, I got my money, I'm not even going to bother. And then you get plays like the one you just showed where he might as well have just not like, – Not been on the coach, field. Yeah, if I was the coach, I would have been like, after looking to film Mo, how am I supposed to put you out there after I watch a play like that? You might as well not even be on the field. It's embarrassing. And – you would yeah. think these guys would have more pride, but it is what it is. He's in Green Bay now, and, and we'll that's, see if – Well, there's a reason he went from like $7 million or $17 million a year to like five or whatever he's getting right. now. And that's why people say when just having a body out there is more than Wilkerson because of plays I just, like yeah. I just showed. Where mm-hmm. he literally it, – it's almost sad how much he's like – how much effort he's putting in. Moving on, though, outside linebacker, the Jets got no new additions of note. Middle linebacker, they lost Davis, 135 tackles last year, five sacks, 29 years old. He did have a Pro Bowl type of season. It was really, really solid in the run game. Uh, sure. He improved in the past game, but can, can he sustain how good he was? Uh, I don't know because he wasn't fantastic in his years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Carter left, who wasn't what I expected when they signed him. When I saw that he got you know five interceptions in 2014, I was really, really excited. They obviously gained uh, Williamson, Minter, and Lewis. Benny, I guess thoughts on uh, on Mario Davis really, really quickly. <laughs> Yeah, when they got him, I thought it was a total waste of time, but it was kind of one of those, well, at least they got rid of Pryor. He turned out to have a really nice year last year. I think that betting on that going forward being the norm would have been a mistake. He's 29. He hadn't produced really all that well up until this past year, and his skills are only going to diminish. So, like I said, they got a better, cheaper, younger model they made the right move. I wish Demario Davis well because from all you hear, he's a really good dude. His wife is a great cook by by all accounts as well, which I always What like. have you been to dinner at his house? No, they did a whole interview thing with him on I think it was like one of those shows on SNY 
and they showed how his wife had, had all the players over and how she cooked yeah. for them and all that. But he apparently all the guys liked him. He was a leader and all that, and that's nice. But it is what it is. You couldn't invest big money in him, and it made more yeah. sense to go with Williamson. So I, yeah, I think they improved um, from and got younger with with the Mike linebacker. Uh, I like. I'm telling you, Williamson is gonna be is gonna impress a lot more Jets fans than, than people. People like think he's just like, oh, he's another guy. He's gonna be one of the best players on this defense. Just just wait. Um, and then they gained some better depth with Minter and Lewis, which I which I like. Safety they gained Wilcox one year, one point two five million dollars. I'll get film on him for that secondary show, and they get Middleton back from injury, who's gonna compete for that fourth spot, and then. Uh, before we get to corners, I guess we'll just do the kickers really quick because I want to talk a little bit more about the corners and then we'll end the show. Sure. Um, kickers, listen, they lost Catanzaro, uh, who was 103 out of 122, which is 84.4% in his career. And they gained Santos, who was 90 for 107, who was 84.1% for his career. Who cares? Um, moving on from that, though, they gained Johnson, who is your like favorite player they signed. I he's he's going to be the <laughs> most he's going to be the most impactful. I agree with that. 6'2", 213, 28 years old. He, he, he signed a five-year, $72 million deal, which is average to 14.5 per 45 guarantee, which is basically like a three-year deal. Um, strengths, he has fluid hips, his footwork, he's, he's pretty strong. He has good acceleration. He's good tackler. He's smart. He has good awareness. He has good ball, uh, ball skills. He doesn't get beat deep. In terms of weaknesses, he opens his hips too early, which I, I see a lot of corners do. It's, it's a hard thing not mm-hmm. to do. Um, too many free releases in press where I'd like to see him use his size and his length a little bit more. He trusts his eyes too much in terms of jumping some balls and he loses some wide receivers and man coverage because of looking into the backfield too much. So that's his strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses in short, but uh, I guess um, just hit on those Scott, if you want. Yeah. I mean, I already gave my thoughts on, on Johnson earlier. So and I okay. thought you basically summed them up pretty well. Claiborne comes back. So he was here last year. He gave the jets more than you would have expected. If you were had reasonable expectations, he's a guy that I always felt was miscast as a number one, but a good number two. He can never stay healthy, but last year he played 15 games. If they could get 15 games out of him this year with Tremaine Johnson on the other side, it'll be a good move. Yeah. Um, and this is a play, I'll bring up like his, this is like a play of his awareness. And we'll finish with Perry Nickerson and we'll basically finish the show. Um, here, this is a, this is a, oh, sorry, this is a cover three look right here. So Johnson's dropping back into his zone where he's deep, uh, deep third responsibility. And he leaves his zone here because he basically sees Matt Ryan about to throw to this, uh, what would you call it? Like a, like a skinny post kind of just like a, he's just kind of trying to find the soft zone in the, uh, the defense here. He, he leaves his zone and you see this acceleration and this like fluidity just bang. And he just he rocks this tight end, and he doesn't catch the ball because of it. So that's like that's the awareness to to leave your zone to make a play right there. So that's that's nice. Uh, that's a nice play to see from Johnson right there for me at least. Yeah, not, listen, Johnson to me is as advertised. Like we said, he's not Darrell Revis, Deion Sanders, or somebody like that, but he's very good corner. Look, the Jets were in a position where they had a ton of money to burn, and they had a really bad hole at corner. So they went out and they spent money on the best corner available on the market. I guess the way I would explain it is Tremaine Johnson is to cornerback what maybe Kirk Cousins is to quarterback. In other words, a guy who got paid elite money, even though he's very good, 
but I'd rather spend that money on Tremaine Johnson than spend it on a couple of mediocre nobody players. Well, when you're a top 15 outside linebacker, cornerback, or quarter or quarterback, you're going you're going to yep. get paid the most uh-huh. in the next contract. Sure. But another play here, just this just as a screen, he he avoids the block of the was a tackle or guard, whoever it is, and he makes a tackle. So like I said, him on the edge is a is a is a, it's a good thing. He's able to. Uh, hold that edge and tackle very, very well. You're going to, you're going to rarely see um, Tremaine Johnson, you know, miss tackles. So I, I've been uh, impressed with, you know, that portion of, of his game. And I'll bring up another play. Um, this is showing his smarts since uh, like I said, we'll wrap up in a second, but, and this is, a, this is the first play back from injury. I think this is yeah, RPO. Um, let's see what happens here. I wasn't even oh, – I guess this is just like – this is kind of – I don't know why I put this as smarts, but this is fluidity. Again, you're trying to match this. He's – so basically he's not really pressing. He's kind of bailing out into like the shuffle. There's like a bail and there's a shuffle. I'll call this a shuffle technique. He's shuffling backwards and he's reading cam. And what you're doing with like read steps is when you're, when you're playing off coverage on read steps, you're taking a read step. Like you're, so if the quarterback drops – three steps you're going to kind of like be soft in your zone and then drive forward if it's a three-step drop because you know it's a shorter route and with shotgun because shotgun you're basically just adding two to a drop back so a shotgun um where there's only one step back that's like a three-step drop a shotgun with two steps back that's like a five-step drop so the fact that he plants he just he's planning here and looking to throw johnson knows that he is going to throw the ball um to a shorter route here especially that he's looking his way so he knows a slant or a like quick breaking inside routes coming. So he drives on it and, and he's able to make a play. So that's smarts. He's reading. He, that's exactly what he's doing here. As soon as he reads that drop back, he knows that the ball is coming soon. So he, he, he figures it's going to be inside. So he drives on it. So that's, that's a smart play from Johnson there, but. Um, yeah. And then moving on, we'll do, I'll bring up a play of his ball skills. And then I guess I'll get into a weakness of, or two and then we'll um, go to, go to Perry Nickerson a, a little bit. And this is just, and this is where I say he, He's playing. He's playing man coverage on the outside here, and um, oh, actually, no. This is this is a good play. I thought this going to be a, this is going to be a bad play. I didn't get into the weaknesses yet, but again, that that shuffle technique here, where he's reading the quarterback, and you see him kind of hesitate here. He knows the ball is coming, but he's not completely sure of himself. So it's a good read from him. Um, he knows the ball is coming, so he drives onto the the uh, wide receiver and he plays the ball, you know, well. Like I said, he's playing that upfield shoulder, which is good. Because so you don't want the quarterback to throw the wide receiver open, and he's contesting the ball, which is which is smart. You you can see like sometimes this hurts him, where he's reading the quarterback this much in in, in man. Um, so it's a plus and a minus for him, but on this play it works out because it's you know it's an inward breaking route, so he's able to keep the wide receiver in his peripherals while watching the quarterback. So that's why he breaks on this on this ball so well. So, um, but I guess then then moving on to uh, some of the other things so we could. You know, wrap this up is in terms of some of the the uh, weaknesses which I'll just bring up I'll just bring up one for now and this is where I talk about uh, you know some of the some of the weaknesses and you know trusting his eyes too much and giving some uh, free releases and and stuff like that uh, actually I'll br- I guess I'll bring up two but this is just a free release and pe- and press that I'll that'll bring up and this is why it leads to the to the hold um, and here let's see okay so he's in press which I want to see his. I want to see his feet really quick. Um, 
Okay, so there's not really too much of a false. There's a little bit of a false step there, but that's that's fine. But he opens his hips up right away. He doesn't get his hands on their wide receiver. Doesn't challenge his routes that much. I would like to see because he's a big physical guy. But because he doesn't shuffle with the the receiver here, and he doesn't really get up into him. He does, he doesn't. He's not like matching his his um his route. Where like if if he was if he was a shuffle and then get into his hip pocket here, he'd be challenging this route, which would not allow Smith to to get to the outside in this outward breaking route right here. If you see what I'm saying, like he, if he was going to get tighter here because of that shuffle and get hands on the receipt, he wouldn't be so far off, allowing the receiver to cut back um, to the outside, which then, which is why he he has to hold here. He holds right there because he's not tight to him. He doesn't have his hands on him. If he shuffles here, gets his hands on, then he has his hands on. He's able to feel that break, and he wouldn't get the penalty here. But unfortunately, he, like I said, one of the weaknesses in his game is that he does he opens his hips right right away sometimes. So um, you do not necessarily want to to uh, to see that Scott and then this one true. Yeah. Uh, and then one more weakness I'll bring up here of, of his game is where he, he looks into the backfield too much where I just showed it as a, as a strength, but now I'm going to show it uh, as a weakness and he's on the bottom of the screen here uh, versus whatever receiver this is. Again, he's impressed. He's probably, he doesn't have enough bend in his legs there. That little false, he's a false step right there. But the problem with that false step is he's, he gets back onto his heels too much of that false step. So already he's off balance, and um, he opens his hips right away again. But the problem with this with this play is once the quarterback is dropping back more than three steps, you have to play the wide receiver and keep playing the wide receiver. The problem with him here is he one he opens the hips right away. He's on his he's on his uh, his his, uh, his weight is backwards too much, which is putting him off balance. And here you can see how his head is looking into the backfield. You have to play the wide receiver, and this is exactly why he's looking into the backfield. He doesn't have hands on uh, as early as he should because he opens his hips right away. And because of him looking to the backfield, the receiver is cutting outward, um, and he's not able to feel it, which is why he loses the the wide receiver. It should have been a completion here, but uh, the ball. I guess it was a, it was a sack. So, like I said, don't look into the. You can't look into the backfield here. So, I don't know if you want to touch on that at all, but. Uh, if not, we can move on to Perry Nickerson. Really, yeah. No, I mean, I think you've pretty much said it all. Between the two of us, we've said everything we can about him. <laughs> okay, so then moving on to to Perry Nickerson, really, really quickly. Um, he's from Tulane, was six round draft picks, which is another small school, five eleven, uh, ran a four three two forty, hundred eighty pounds, six round pick. Um, uh, bring up three plays of him really quickly. He has good ball skills. He has good speed. He's, he tries to get involved in the run game. Good toughness. He's pretty fluid, quick, has some burst. And the uh, and I guess just overall, what are your thoughts on, on Perry Nickerson? Um, really good athlete, good ball skills. And uh, he's a guy who PFF really liked, which is nice. And I know you don't really care about that. And it's not the end all be all <laughs> by any stretch, but it's never a bad thing to have. Yeah. So, but I, I do think that he has the potential to be a, a pretty solid corner. I, I would hope, and my fingers are crossed for this, that he can eventually take away that slot spot from, uh, from Buster Screen because I can't stand watching Buster Screen play uh, cornerback because he can't cover anybody. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, he's playing a little bit high here. And he's kind of playing like catch man, which he's not really playing an off or press, which uh, – I don't really like catch max. You don't have time. You don't have the ability to really physically press the wide receiver on their stem, and you don't really have time to read the quarterback's drop back. But regardless, here he gets he gets a shuffle in, which is nice. You like to see that shuffle. 
He actually gets like two shuffles in. He gets his hands on the wide receiver, which is good, even though he's playing a little bit high off the snap. Um, but then he starts looking into the, the quarterback too uh, soon. Like I, like I said, after that, after that drop back, um, you need to, to play the, the, the quarterback um, as soon as the receiver starts releasing because then you're not going to be able to, to feel the receiver. I think this might be a little bit of a hold here. Um, so if this is an a NFL wide receiver, he probably loses him right here. But because he's playing, uh, you know, it's, uh, a smaller school uh, receiver, he's obviously not as good. The receiver doesn't run a great route here really at all. Um, but he's able to play the ball well, which is nice. Like I said, he has, he has some good ball skills. I don't know if this would work for, say, a small, a, a bigger time wide receiver, even Division One receiver, but still a, a relatively um, good play of him. And then the, the next one I'll bring up is just his awareness in the run game and some of his ability to make plays in the run game. And here you see him on the bottom of yeah bottom of the screen, and he's he, he's not going to be able to get off blocks of wide receivers in the NFL um, if they are locked up on him. But he sees this offensive lineman coming in hard at him, plants hard in the ground, avoids it, and it still makes the tackle, which is nice to see. He's not Buster Screen in terms of physicality and strength because Buster Screen for pound for pound is probably the strongest player on the Jets. I said sure. pound for, I said pound for pound. Uh, uh, Nickerson is not that type of player, but still a nice, a nice play. I have awareness to see this offensive lineman coming, avoid him and make the um, block here. Now in terms of his weaknesses that I saw, uh, like I said, his, his length, his strength, uh, his, his ability to play wide receivers and, and press or even uh, during their routes down when they're trying to push off him a little bit is going to be, or even at the top of routes is going to be concerning. And then he has, he has some um, issues in terms of his technique, which you can expect coming from a smaller school or even college in general here. But here he's relatively low again, and he's he's in he's in press on this corner on this uh, receiver. He's in soft he's in soft um, soft sorry soft shoe. But here you can see it his pad level, which is low, and then look what happens his his as his head raises. You do not want that. You're, you're, you're not, in, um, you, you're kind of like, you're not one, you're not on balance. You're not going to be able to absorb any shot from the, the wide receiver, but you, that's like a dramatic pop up. You could see that a lot, how much he pops up there. You can't, you can't see that. Um, but he gets his hands on the wide receiver. He's not able to get as tight as he wants to. He should be squeezing him right here where he's into the wide receiver's hip and he has his hands, both of his hands on the, the wide receiver and the receiver does get a flag for pushing off here. But this is going to happen in the NFL, and he's just not he's not strong enough to keep up receivers who are bigger than him, and this receiver is bigger than him. If he is, he's going to need to go, uh, is going to need to play low, and that pop-up is not going to allow him to do it, especially when he opens his hips. I said pops up and opens his hips, free release. It's it's easy play for the wide receiver who does get the pass interference. But moving on, Scott, we're going to close the show out because that wraps up him. I'll, like I said, I'll do a lot more film breakdowns um, where I could really go into the play more. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to do a quick, a quick lightning round, like two minutes, Scott. I want to know everything okay. about you. What is your worst take ever? I want literally 10 seconds on every answer. <laughs> okay. Worst take ever, uh, that maybe there was a slight chance Hackenberg could be good. Okay. My worst take ever, I liked Calvin Pryor coming out of college. Um, best take, what was your best – what was the player you were right on your best take? Hopefully Darnold. <laughs> Darnold, I, I'm going to go with me. Like, this is like a little get to know us segment just really quickly. I, I didn't want to put it at the beginning because if you're listening at this point in the show, you should get to know us. <laughs> My best thing, I'm going to say Robbie Anderson. I really liked Robbie Anderson coming out as an undrafted free agent. I thought he was going to be an ad, and he was. Uh, Scott, did you play any football at all? 
uh, other than uh, intramural a little bit, uh, yeah. and mostly it wasn't tackle. So I yeah. couldn't say at any high level, no. So, yeah, I played I played in high school. Um, I played safety, corner, receiver, and running back. So that's my, that's my background. I didn't play in any college. I wish I did, but I just – I was a lazy bum and wanted to do some dumb teenager things when I was going into college, so I didn't play football. Um, give me your favorite Jets offensive and defensive player ever, Scott. Okay. Favorite offensive player? That's a tough one. I guess Curtis Martin. Favorite mm. defensive player? Let's say Joe Klecko. Joe, Cle- yeah, you have a little. You have, you're a little bit older than me, so you could. You've actually like watched some of these players play more than I have. Um, my, I'm gonna say my favorite on offense is is Kotri. I love Kotri uh, big time. Just his like, like that play versus the Browns pretty much sums it up. Where he's like limping to make a catch, and he still makes a diving catch. And then sure. I don't. And then my de- defensive, I don't even like Rebus as a person, but how good he was, I can't ignore. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fantastic sure. to watch him. So he's my favorite sure. defensive player ever. So and then sure. a couple more questions, and we'll wrap it up. Like I said, just get to know us here. Uh, what's your favorite Jets game that you were at? And then your favorite game that you ever watched on TV? Favorite game that I was at? Yeah. I'm going to put a caveat to this. The Monday Night Miracle, but I left after the third quarter. So that oh, man, that's is, brutal. It's probably the most famous game that I've ever – either that or the – actually, no, I take it back. The Jets beating the Jaguars <laughs> in the playoffs because that was the um, – that was the year that they went to the AFC championship and, and that was the best playoff win that I got to see in person. Nice. Best game I watched on TV, favorite game I watched on TV. Uh, probably the playoff win over the Patriots. Yeah. Um, sadly, well, not sadly, but mine are both of all the Patriots. Um, when this happened, you know, I, I'm not like super old, so I didn't have too many memories. I've had season tickets for six <laughs> years now, but that's favorite. his way of calling me old, by the way. No, I'm just saying I'm not old. I'm not even calling you old necessarily, but the Patriots game in 2009, the home opener, uh, the last year in Giants Stadium with Rex's first game, that stadium was vibrating, and I yes. loved that game. That was my favorite game I was ever at because you couldn't even hear yourself think. Uh, it was ridiculous. MetLife has been a massive disappointment in terms of the design of the stadium, the atmosphere, the, this, the way that it doesn't trap sound, the, the, just everything. People are on their phones. People don't get up and cheer. If you do get up and cheer, people bitch about it. It's sad. Um, yeah, it's my true. favorite game watched is 2010 Patriots game, like you said. Uh, watching us beat them in the playoffs was fantastic. Was now, give me, now give me the worst game you watched on TV and the worst game you were at. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. I did it on purpose. Yeah, there's a lot of these. The worst game I watched on TV, the one that just sticks out in my head right now off the top of my head was that awful Chiefs-Jets game from 2016 when Fitzpatrick threw like six interceptions. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was brutal. And it was worse than them just getting pounded because they were still in They were the still game. close. Yeah, yeah. That was the one that sticks out to me. As far as the worst game that I saw in person – Man, you know, the one that sticks out to me was 2011 when the Jets lost to the Giants. And basically the Giant, both of their yeah. seasons flipped. The Jets looked like they were headed for the playoffs and they nosedived and didn't recover for years. And the Giants ended up going on a, you know, on a little run and then they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, yeah, those are the two that right off the top of my head stick out. 
Yeah, I, I put you on the spot for a reason. Uh, 2010 Steelers game was the worst I've ever watched. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Uh, if it, It's just – it was bad. I'm not going to go into it. It's bad if you're a Jets fan you're watching that game. My worst game I was at, Bills 2015. Jets just beat the Patriots yeah. at home. Whole, whole bunch of momentum. Yeah. The Jets might go to the playoffs. Todd yeah. Bowles first year. Went there. I was getting throw balls uh, – or throw balls. Snowballs thrown at me. This is what happens when you talking for four hours. Oh, yeah. You went to Buffalo, huh? Yeah, and watched them lose. It was it was terrible. So, that was the worst time I've ever been at. Um, three more questions. Who is your favorite player ever, Jets or non-Jets? Man, favorite player ever. Uh, it's a tough one. You know what? I'm going to say <laughs> – I'm going to say Vince Young, and the reason is I'm a huge Texas fan. Wow. He basically single-handedly won a national championship for the Longhorns. So minus, like the whole, wrong. minus the whole like AWOL situation and stuff. Um, no, I well, get that, it. Listen, that was, that was Tennessee's problem, you know? In terms, of, in terms of college players, I think Reggie Bush is my favorite player ever. In terms of just, that's just college, um, Brian Dawkins is my favorite player ever, though. Uh, just the, the tenacity sure. that guy played with was just and the hard hitting safety is my favorite position, and that was just ridiculous. Uh, second yeah, to last question, really quick: How did you become a Jets fan? It's my dad's fault. When I was a little kid, uh, my mom was a Giants fan, my dad is a Jets fan. Dad took me to games when I was like five, and so there you go. Yeah, my dad was basically not a big football fan. Every single person in my entire family is Giants fans, but none of them took me to a game. My really good friend Tom took me to a game. I think it was Jets Raiders, and we started a Raiders suck chant throughout the entire stadium where we basically like told four rows behind us we're going to start a chant, and then they all did it, and it just you, you slowly heard it spread throughout Giants Stadium, and that's when I became a Jets fan. It was the first game I've ever, I was ever at. Really, really big uh, that, you know, thanks to Tom for making me a Jets fan. Actually, no, Tom, you're an asshole. Uh, yeah, exactly. Curse but for that. last question. Um, I remind my dad all the time of what he did to me. Yeah, exactly. Last question. Um, and this is for you to watch or evaluate. I know you're like, you, you watch the film, but you don't like break it down. Like I'm, I'm a psychopath. So give me your favorite, your favorite position, your favorite and worst position to, to watch slash evaluate. Quarterback is my favorite to watch and evaluate. My least favorite probably offensive line i mean there's a lot yeah. there but it could just get really dull yeah it does trust me that spencer long review and like brandon shell and all those guys got pretty boring at times i had to find myself like trying to do the film review uh, i'm gonna go fair position to evaluate i definitely like doing defensive backs and wide receivers um i i i think i have a pretty good understanding of what's happening there you can get really, really in depth to that, and I've I've been watching a lot of stuff to help me learn, and um, I'm really, really comfortable in that area of the football. And then the worst I agree is offensive line. It's just what the hell. But okay, so Scott, well, let guys, me just say this then: if you love defensive backs, you are really gonna enjoy talking to Eric McMillan. Yeah, I, it's 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 fantastic. I I really enjoyed doing it, um, bringing that down. But Scott, that was the end of our first show, which is like a four hour freaking show. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. It took a while. We had to recap the entire off season. So we appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, it will be on YouTube on turn on the you just type in turn on the Jets on YouTube and it'll come up. Subscribe to that page. I'll probably have like my own playlist there. Um, for these shows, we'll be back next week with, with Mark Schofield, hopefully to do the quarterback show. I believe he's going to be able to do it. If not, um, we'll do like top 25 players on the roster or something like that. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Eric McMillan, like I said, uh, two-time pro ball player, defensive rookie of the year to break down film with me, which if you're not excited for that, if you like film, I don't know what you get excited for. Um, and like I said, 
when we are on the podcast, uh, the podcast app, where are we going to be available? So is it just well, on the jets.com right now for the first two shows? Uh, that's a, it's a good question. It's a question for our fearless leader, Joe Caparoso, but I know it takes a little <laughs> while to get on iTunes or something, but I'm hoping that we could get on a couple of different places besides just turn on the jets.com right off the bat. Yeah, well, it's going to take a little bit, but when we, when we are um, on the podcast app, please, I do not, I cannot, I'm going to say this every single show, go on there, leave us a five-star rating and a review. I'll accept four stars, but nothing lower than that. I'm kidding. If you, <laughs> if you think we suck, whatever, I don't want to talk about, give us a review. Tell us what we can improve on. Um, but five-star ratings and reviews are really appreciated. So we appreciate everybody for listening for the first edition of Turn Jets Film Room. Many, many, many more to come. Many more film, uh, much more film to break down and many more things to talk about. So we're excited. Um, like I said, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week.